This is Patriots Playbook. The legend game is not going well after that first drive that ends up in the pick, and and she's like, they should have scored there. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Oh, yeah. Oh, we won the toss. Defer, defer. That's bullcrap. It's absolute idiocy is what it is. I'm going to bang this drum until I beat it to death. Evan, this is what I do, and I apologize for that. I'm enjoying it. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You don't have to suck up or anything, but I appreciate that. (laughs) Now, here's your host of Patriots Playbook, John Rook. Hey, one and one. Life looks so much better after a win, doesn't it? Uh, And then, of course, you have the comeuppance coming this weekend with the Baltimore Ravens in the home opener. It's weird, though. It's just weird to be week three and have your your home opener. Does this mean that the NFL kickoff logo will still be on the stadium field three weeks into the season? It's a good question. I, I, I mean, I haven't checked out. The I haven't yet. seen this, the the field yet, so I'm not sure. But I mean, I don't I don't remember this ever happening. This is God, my 31st season. I don't remember ever having the home opener three weeks deep into the year. It's always been one of the first two weeks. Yeah, and you got three out of four on the road because you're going on yeah. the road to Lambeau. Exactly. Next week. Yeah. So it's weird to say it's the home opener, but that's exactly what we have this week with the Baltimore Ravens in town. And uh, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. Good morning, if the case may be. John Rook, Evan Lazar from Patriots.com joined us here in the playbook. Uh, coming up in, uh, well, let me let me get let me get my because I've always been told in radio parlance we should always tell people when to set their clocks by so that you know we they can make an appointment listening or appointment viewing or what have you, right? So the one and only. Reese's Pieces is going to join us here on the program. Mike Reese uh, is going to step into the playbook. He does like to step into the playbook from time to time. But uh, Mike is going to join us at uh, approximately 2.45, so 40 minutes from now. Um, And we'll get his viewpoint on the latest uh, from the Patriots. Uh, Then Ryan Mink, who is the uh, editor of uh, Ravens content on Ravens.com for the Baltimore Ravens, he's going to join us in the second hour. And, of course, Russell Baxter will be here for week three around the NFL also in the second hour. How's Vince Wilford, by the way? It was great. It was a great time. I always love these intimate events that we're lucky enough to attend in the media with the Patriots Hall of Fame everybody's encouraged to go out on Saturday for the open to the public when he gives his speech and actually goes into the Patriots Hall of Fame. But this is a really cool, intimate setting where we get to watch him try on the red jacket, look up at the plaque on the wall in the Patriots Hall of Fame. His name is right there next to Richard Seymour and Matt Light and Rodney Harrison mm-hmm. and watch his highlights that they put into the, the system there. And it was really cool to see a slim down. Vince Wilford, yeah, he by looks. The way. He looks actually. He's in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yep. He said he can't play at all. Don't ask him to play a snap. <laughs> Not even a down. He said he's done. He's done. Love to see him play one more snap. Right. You know, I think we could use you out there, Big Vince. Um, it's one of the. This is one of the fun things we get a chance to do every year. Of course, we'll we'll have it for you if you're outside of the area. Uh, we stream it here on Patriots.com, so we'll be able to put that out there for fans. So you can uh, just tune in here to the website, and we'll be able to stream it. And one of the uh, the great pleasures of of my year every year is being able to host this and uh, get to talk to these guys and, and, and be a small part of uh, of what they're going through. And, and I think the one thing that seems to be uniform amongst all of those guys that have been inducted, of course, last year was Richard Seymour and, and we've had, um, uh, you know, Rodney Harrison and, and you know, we've had uh, Kevin Falk in recent years and now Vince. It, it stands to reason while I know that we still try to pay attention to those that have 
come from longer days gone by. It stands to reason that now that we remove ourselves from at least that first dynastic era when the Patriots won three out of four back in the early 2000s, that these guys are the ones that are stepping to the fore and being eligible and all that kind of stuff for the Hall of Fame. We saw Richard Seymour get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The list of the nominees for this year came out again. There were some familiar names on it. I'm not sure. Maybe you could give us your thoughts here on this, Ev, but I, I, I'm not sure who's worthy, but I, it seems to me we still need to kind of keep that ball rolling a little bit because you can't have, you know, uh, three out of four and then whatever it was, three out of five years was the second role. You can't have dominant eras like that in an era of parity in professional sports without recognition that somebody was doing something right. Absolutely. I look at the Steelers teams from the 70s, uh-huh. how many Hall of Famers those uh, Steel Curtains Everybody on the Steel Curtains a Hall of Famer. Right, and... and I'm not trying to take anything away from those guys, but the guys that played here are just as much have the resumes, I guess is the way to put it, yeah. that are equal to the, those some of those Steelers players from the 70s that are all in there. And yet a lot of these guys can't sniff it. I mean, they released the list of, I think it was 129 modern era nominees. There was 24 Patriot, once upon a time Patriots. Yeah. Some of those 24 were guys like James Harrison, who wore a Patriots uniform for, I think, five games, right? We're not Mm -hmm. talking about legends, but then you do have Vince, you do have Rodney Harrison, you do have Wes Welker, Logan Mankins, the list goes on and on. Troy Brown, Teddy Bruschi, Willie McGinnis. Who's most likely to get in out of the Patriots that are on that eligible list? I think it's Vince. Honestly, I think what we saw from the Hall of Fame voters last year with Richard Seymour is that they're starting to recognize that these odd front, two-gapping systems, the DNs, the DTs like Vince or the nose tackles, those guys are not going to get in on stats. They're not going to be... Demarcus Ware is eligible this year, I think, for the first time, and he's got like 100 career sacks or something crazy like that. Richard Seymour was not going to be up in that type of echelon in terms of statistical output, but the importance of what they were going to, what they were doing on the field yep. and putting it into the sum of the whole, the 11 players on the field. I thought Matt Patricia had a rec- little recording as a part of Vince Wilfork's highlight reel that they now have in the Patriots Hall of Fame, and he said. Vince was not a guy that was going to get a lot of stats, but everybody else on the field got their stats because Vince was on the field. Didn't they also say that about Richard Seymour? Yeah, I think Belichick said some similar things about Richard Seymour. The other guy that Belichick has been pounding the table for for a couple years now is Rodney, who when you go and you look at some of the other safeties that have recently gone into the Hall of Fame, talking about Leroy Butler or Brian Dawkins or some of these other guys, Rodney's resume is right up there if not better mm-hmm. than some of those guys are. And you look to put into that the two Super Bowl championships and how important he was to both of those Super Bowl teams. When they signed Rodney as a free agent, I remember uh, Mr. Kraft saying this when we were uh, inducting Rodney into the, pro, uh, the Patriots Hall of Fame, excuse me, a few years ago. And that at that point, they were coming off the 2002 season. They missed the playoffs. They had the Super Bowl, but that might have been a flash in the pan. They weren't sure if that was just a one-hit wonder or if they were going to turn this into a long-term success. And they signed Rodney as a free agent in the 3 offseason, and they win two more. And I, I don't think that that was a coincidence. I think he brought another level to that defense, and they talked about some of his practice habits and then obviously his on-field contributions. But Belichick has said in the past that he's 
coached safeties that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he would put Rodney ahead right there of with them, yeah. ahead of if those not guys. Ahead, yeah, ahead of them, yeah. Right. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I, I personally believe that Rodney's due, and I think Rodney could very well be, he could be part of next year's class. And that's with all due respect to Vince. Vince, I think, is certainly uh, imminently eligible in that regard. But it'll be fun to see Vince, you know, uh, get his due in front of the fans here. You know, it's raining absolute buckets outside today, and the team is outside practicing in that, you know, so they're getting ready for the elements. It's not supposed to be bad on Sunday, though. It's not. It's not. But this is... Rain or shine, right, John? I mean, this well, is yeah, classic and, and, Bill. And, and you don't, you don't, and, and Bill has been famous for not missing an opportunity like this, you know, because you want to practice in bad right. weather because you you do need to learn ball control, all that kind of stuff. And so they are out there, you know, with you know the whole cats and dogs thing, you know, pouring uh, outside. The weather is supposed to be good not only for Saturday for Vince's ceremony, but also for the game on Sunday. In fact, it's supposed to be seventy degrees on Sunday, a kickoff, which would be nice, you know, for now that we're officially into fall. So I, I would encourage anybody and everybody in the area to, to come out and, and be a part of Vince's uh, induction into the Patriots Hall of Fame on Saturday. It starts at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, in case you're wondering. It'll go probably until around 5.30 or so. That's usually about how long it lasts. And of course, then Vince will be fated uh, at halftime of the game against the Ravens on Sunday afternoon uh, here at Gillette. All right, so uh, before we jump into other things here, uh, a quick little recap. By the way, you can always join the show, 855 pats 500, the toll-free number, 855-PATS-500, web radio at patriots.com, on email, at JR Broadcaster on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to get Evan to give me a Twitter lesson here and you know, how to make yourself more popular before too long. And then uh, if you want to post on the Facebook page, you can, John.Rook on Facebook, and we'll, uh, we'll go that route. I just wanted to dial it back a little bit to the Pittsburgh game because we were kind of laughing before we came into the studio about, you know, you know, oh, wait me up when that game was over. It was, it was, it was just, okay, it was boring. It was just, it was not an aesthetically pleasing game, but that's also a game that you just, you can't lose. At least they won it. And then I think that's the best thing that you can say about last Sunday um, was it a step in the right direction? Well, of course. Anytime you win, it's better than a, as I termed it, I think, earlier this week, it's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. You know? And when, given the two options, yeah, I'll take the Patriots win over the Steelers. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And, and nobody's asking for this team to be mid-season form. It's not in mid-season. We better hope it's not in mid-season form. Otherwise, I think we've got some issues with this team even getting to eight or nine wins like, you know, some of us seem to think that we'll get to. What's your, now that we're a few days removed from it, what's your big takeaway from what they were actually able to accomplish in Pittsburgh? Well, I think on the defense side of the ball, I've been struggling to find the right word for it. So let's go with sophistication. They have a level of coaching sophistication obviously with Bill Belichick on the sideline, that quarterbacks like Mitchell Trubisky are going to have a tough time against the Patriots' defense. And they might not have the talent on the defensive side of the ball. We're just talking about some great Patriot defenses. They might not have the talent of the early 2000s Patriots defense or even the 18 or the 19 team for the Patriots on that side of the ball in the secondary. They don't have Stephon Gilmore. They don't have J.C. Jackson. Those guys aren't walking through the door. But I think that they still have a level of – chemistry, continuity, uh, scheming that for guys like Mitchell Trubisky, it's going to be a tough afternoon. And I think some of the things that we're seeing them do are actually pretty different from what they've done in some of those other dynastic teams that we've had. And that is they 
through two weeks at least. And But I would also argue that this dates back to basically that start of that winning streak last year. Mm-hmm. They've been 80% zone coverage in the first two weeks of the season. This is a zone coverage defense. From the start of that winning streak. We knew it had to be that way. Yeah, from the start of the winning streak last year to now, they are have been a predominantly zone coverage defense. And I think the cool thing about it is is that they're able to really spin their safeties and spin the dial on quarterbacks in the back end because they do have a really, really good safety group, a deep, versatile safety group, and they have some corners, Jalen Mills, Miles Bryant, even Jonathan Jones, that have played a little bit of safety in their careers with the Patriots. Seems like they got a team full of slot safeties or slot, you know, corners or something like that that they don't have a guy, B guy, even sometimes a strong safety. It seems right. like you got a bunch of guys that are interchangeable. I know that in theory that doesn't sound horrible, but at the same time you also like a guy that has a definitive role out there because it can be confusing not only to people who watch and cover. I wonder if it's confusing to the players themselves if they're not sure what their defined roles are. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that you worry about is that as much as Belichick can dress it up and as much as the game plan going in can confuse the quarterback, eventually they're going to run into a team. And I think that we all know the team in Western New York is probably going to be that team in Buffalo where your guys are just not as good as the guys lining up across from them and all the scheming and all the smoke and mirrors and all the, Oh, we're too high. Now we're single high. Now the safety's over here. Now the corner's over there. It's not going to help when Josh Allen comes to town and Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis. But at the same time, I I like what they're doing. And it's actually, if you look at what the whole league is doing on defense, everybody, everybody in the league, John is playing too high safeties, everybody, because there's just, Everything is so heavy towards the passing game on offense. The rules, the quarterbacks, and the nobody receivers. wants to get burned. Nobody wants the the on the on the possession chart after the game for it to say one play, eighty yards, touchdown. <laughs> right? Nobody wants yeah. that. Nobody and, wants to get beat over the top, and yet we yeah. see something like that every week. Yeah. So everybody is trying, and we talk. I talked to Devin McCourty. I asked him a question about this after the game. Everybody is trying to make you go. 12 plays, 75 yards, amassed five minutes a game. Like, that's the drive everybody's trying to make you execute because the defense is hoping or thinking eventually you're you're going to stub a toe. Yeah. Eventually you're going to turn the ball over. Yeah. You're going to have poor execution on a third down. Eventually we're going to get you. Where we're not going to get you is if Rashad Bateman's running through our defense for a 75-yard touchdown like he did last week against Miami. So those are the differences, I think, about what the Patriots' defense is doing, which is really what the whole league is doing. Like You put on tape of any defense right now in the NFL, the vast majority of them are playing zone and they're playing split safety, at least to start the the play sometimes it spins but at least to start the play they got two high safeties all right so playing zone playing the high safeties nobody wants to get beat over the top uh trying to force teams to grind it out and yet we noticed this last week that's exactly what the patriots on offense really were intending to do you even talked about it i know you've done a couple of other radio interviews about the very subject that you know hey matt patricia let's not you know he might actually be doing what the patriots really want him to do in terms of calling the plays and let's face it he's got to grow into the job because he's yeah. never done this job before so i think in that regard you, you cut the guy at least a little bit of slack and i'm not trying to make excuses for him because week one was horrible 
But last week, I think we saw a little bit more synergy, and I think we saw yeah. a little bit more defined role-playing, especially on the sidelines when it comes to trying to game plan. And we also saw Bill with his back to the defense working with the offense on the sideline, you know, from the, the camera shots that we're able to see on television. Sounds to me like they're kind of stepping in that direction, and that maybe, just maybe, because the Patriots have long been known for this, maybe they're actually playing a little ahead, the, ahead of the curveball here. Well, they're certainly figuring out the game day dynamic in a better way than what I think they started because we talked about it a little bit yesterday and I'm actually interested to hear Mike Reese's take because he's as plugged in as anybody with this organization of why it wasn't like this to begin with but assistant offensive line coach Billy Yates spent the first half against Miami up in the coach's booth and the second half he came downstairs and was on the sideline for this game against Pittsburgh Yates was on the sideline for the whole game Mm -hmm. they they pulled him out of the coach's booth all four quarters on the sideline and a lot of the time when you took the inventory of the sideline in between drives Matt Patricia was over with Mac Jones going over stills going over plays for the next drive and what quarterbacks and play callers always do and Billy Yates was running the huddle with the offensive line he was the one that was making the adjustments and going over the protections and the stills with the offensive line to me between Billy Yates and I'll also throw David Andrews's name in there yep. a, a six-time team captain those two guys should be able to run the offensive line together on game day I, I would think so when you have those two guys together over there it takes a lot of stress off of Matt Patricia's plate where he doesn't have to coach the offensive line, coach the quarterback, and call the plays all at once. It, it takes one thing out of the equation for Matt Patricia, which is easily the way I thought it should have been from the get-go. So I'm surprised it wasn't that way in week one. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the line looked more together, the plan looked more together in general, and everybody seemed to have a better feel for what exactly they were supposed to do on Sunday compared to week one with Patricia not trying to pull double duty. The other thing I, I would mention just along those lines, on the final drive of the game against the Steelers where they ran out the clock, they were making a calls at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. They were adjusting the runs based off of the Steelers' alignment and the base off of their front, and Mac was checking into plays, different running plays at the line of scrimmage. It's, it's a, actually shocking to me that that happened in just one week. Like, where was that against Miami, right? Like, why, why, how did we get there in one week? But the fact that we are there, regardless of that, the fact that we are there now, I think it shows that this offense has a plan, that this offense knows the game plan, knows what's going on, does and it, has a head about it. Now. Does it show that what they did against Miami is now no longer part of the plan, that they it's tried something new, it didn't work, to hell with it, guys. Let's go back to doing what we know how to do best. Yeah, I mean, there certainly were a ton more gap runs or those downhill pullers. That's, that's and stuff exactly like that. that was my point. Yeah. We saw downhill running against Pittsburgh. Absolutely. We saw those zone blocking guys were getting beat, uh, Cole Strange getting pulled from the game. I mean, we saw all that stuff against Miami. And, and Strange looked like almost a different player. Yeah. Because he's blocking straight ahead. He's got an assignment. Yeah. He knows what he's got to do. See, to me, and I've always, I learned this from Mark Schlereth, who, you know, uh, you know, I worked with at ESPN for a number of years, and he played in the pros for at a very high level. He was an all pro caliber, you know, uh, offensive guard for the Denver Broncos for a number of years. And Stink, which is his nickname, Stink used to tell us, he said, look, he said, that's what we ran in Denver. We ran zone blocking schemes mostly. And people used to criticize us for it because. 
we'd go low. We had to go low. You're supposed to have low leverage on the the defender that's coming at you, and so blocks, yeah. and so when you're down blocking like that, sometimes knee injuries happen. Some and so we used to get criticized, you know, a lot for that. But he said a lot of guys' natural ability just won't let them do that. It's extraordinarily disciplined, but it was taught very early. And he said it took the Broncos years, literally, to master that. So I don't know why we would expect the Patriots to master that after one week. And we're thinking, oh, you know, we see what's going on. It's not working. Okay, maybe we try to integrate a few things. Maybe we pick one or two plays, two or three sets, that kind of thing, to start utilizing some some zone blocking just so we can, you know, keep that curveball, that slider. I'm going to mix my sports metaphors here. Uh, you know, option for teams to keep guessing. But we still got to do what we do best, and that's be physical and that's smash somebody right in the mouth head to head. Yeah, I, I was speaking, I was speaking to Cole Strange in the locker room last week before the game, and I asked him, "What is? It, what's your favorite play? Like, you're in the huddle, you hear the play call from Mac, and you're like, yeah, like, yeah. That, that's what I want us to call.' Yeah, he told me gap. He said, "I want to get on a double team with Trent, and I want to knock. I want to mash somebody. I want to knock the you know what out of yeah. somebody. Yeah, which obviously yeah. I loved. I thought that was of course, awesome. I, and that's <laughs> great. That, but, but that's what you want your offensive yeah, lineman to do. Yeah, and I, I." Look, I only asked Cole, but I'm yeah. sure if I went down the line of the offensive linemen, I think a lot of them would feel the same way. Like, let me get on a double team with somebody and let's knock the piss out of uh, yeah. some people. Absolutely. And this zone blocking scheme is not that. It's not that. It's extraordinarily disciplined. Yeah. It re- and, and like I said, you got to go low, and if you miss your block, then the because the, the running back has got to go to a certain spot, and if the guy plays you off, you really don't have a whole lot of options. It's, it's, it's hard for me to explain because I didn't play offensive line. But just trying to remember what Schlereth used to tell me, he's like, he said, we got used to it, and it was fine and because we had running backs that knew what to expect. You know, they had, you know, Mr. Salute and all that stuff, you know, Davis and all that kind of – they had all those guys. And, of course, I think when he was there, they still – was Elway retired yet? I'm trying to remember. I may be mixing my quarterbacks. It was This was pre-Peyton Manning. It's all I know. But it, it's just, he said, it's not an easy thing to teach. It's not an easy thing to pick up overnight. So I like the fact that they've integrated some of it. But to think that the Patriots are going to make their, you know, they're, they're going to live and die by it. They're going to make their bread and butter off of something like that. It's just incorrect. And I, I'm glad that, you know, Bill seemed to say, all right, you know, hell with it. Let's go and do what we do best because that's where this team is going to have more success. We saw it last year, at the end of last year, when this team started getting into a little bit of a groove offensively. They were good at pounding the ball. They actually had a pretty good controlling running game. And if that's what defenses are willing to give you, as we alluded to, because they're so afraid they're going to get beat over the top. Take it. Yeah. Take it. I mean, 11-play drive of the last, what, 633 to, to, to close out the game? That's the way you want to close out a football game. And to me, that was the highlight of the entire game last Sunday is watching them just hold the ball for the last six and a half minutes. I think it was the highlight for Bill, too, because he was really excited about that after the game. I think that's whether or not it's our type of game. That's Belichick's no. type of game. Well, seventeen yeah. fourteen. Do you want to win or do you want? I mean, you know, it's, yeah. Listen, how many years have we gone here where we know you don't win on style points? This is not a fashion show. Okay, the only thing people remember is did you get the dub or did you get the L? And this team is this 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 organization is prided itself on getting the dub and doing whatever it can to get the dub and. Yeah, I think we all know they've still got a ways to go in the talent department to catch up with a couple of other teams, specifically in the AFC, no question. But you know what? Life is cyclical. If you're doing what you should be doing, you can get back, and you can get back in relatively short order. I think they've taken a step. 
this year compared to what we saw last year. And last year's team went 10-7 and and got into the postseason. Rookie quarterback, postseason play in his first year as a full-time starter, that's significant. Didn't win, but it still is a step in the right direction when you consider the misstep that, you know, was the previous year. Right. So I, we're, there's small strides. Now, someone asked me the other day, they said, you know, well, what would you consider the next step to take for this team? I said, well, honestly, I don't know if they can get to it because I think, A, the schedule is tougher. B, I think other teams around them improved more than they had originally planned on. You can't worry about what other teams do. You have to worry about your team. And I think we all realize that this team is still probably a year away and maybe another free agent potential class away from being able to do what we all hope they can do, and that's really find the depth. you got to find you know instant starters, but you got to find depth because we all know at the end of the year, he who has the most toys at the end wins. And, and that's really who can avoid injury. So I hope that this team can make the postseason, game, uh, postseason again and win. That would be, to me, the next step to take. I don't know if they can get there right now. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you look at is you're not going to get there in today's NFL scoring 17 points a game. No. Right? You're just no. not. you got to no. be in the 20s, 25, 26 a game is really where that line is between teams that have a real chance to win something yeah. and, and, and don't. Now, offensively, I think there's been a lot of conversation about Mac and maybe a, a lack of progress or a lack of that year two leap that everybody always talks about. And it hasn't looked, at least statistically, and I think to the eye test even at times, mm-hmm. like he's getting better. Yeah. It, it looks like maybe he's actually regressing in, in some areas. Now, uh, rose-colored glasses, d- development's not always linear, right? Like it, the quarterback isn't always going to have the arrow pointed upward on him all the time. But I do think the one thing that they're doing that – makes you feel good about hopefully where they're going with Mac is you can really start to see how they are crafting the system offensively around what Mac Jones wants to do. Like this offense is no longer Tom Brady's offense that Mac Jones is running. No. This is now Mac Jones's offense schematically. And that's part of the reason why they've started to kind of change things a little bit. I mean, you want to call it the Shanahan offense or 49ers it's not offense. It's offense. not that. It's no. not. But it there are different aspects of what they used to do and some aspects of what they did with the Niners and, and what have you. There's, but it's not just that entirely. They're trying to craft something to best suit the current personnel. Yeah, and I think they looked at it, and a lot of people, when they started making some of these tweaks, were looking at the skill players mm-hmm. and, and looking at guys that they're bringing in, like a Johnny Smith or a Nelson Aguilar. Why didn't they get the most out of these guys? Why can't they draft a receiver and, and put that guy in and have yeah. him be plug-and-play like everybody else? I, I think a lot of these changes that they're making are maybe more driven by Mac than we realize in terms of with McDaniels even with when Cam was here to a degree they're asking their quarterbacks to be Tom Brady to Mm -hmm. run Tom Brady's playbook and and you can't do that you can't none of these guys are Tom Brady so with Mac now they through two games again I I keep saying that because it's such a small sample size so we'll see if it lasts sure 64 out of 71 of his dropbacks have been in shotgun 64 of 71. Yeah, they're not putting him under center. He doesn't want to be under center. No. And I'm not saying that he can't be. But I think we know why, because he gets a better look at the field when he's back there in the shotgun. So in his two years, let's call it as a starter at Alabama, he attempted 11 passes total from under center (laughs) with the Crimson Tide. Total. 
That's nuts. So he was never under no, center Alabama. That's not who he is. Right. So he's not a he classic drop-back, seven-step guy. No, he's not. No. He wants to be in the gun. He wants to spread the field. And then the second thing is we had a, a nice back and forth with him yesterday about RPOs. And that's, I think, the next iteration because if you're going to be a shotgun team, you got to be willing to. You got to be able to run the RPOs mm-hmm. because shotgun play action, the defense doesn't care. Like if you're just going to fake it and then and then throw it, they're kind of like, yeah, what are you guys doing? You're not going to, yeah. right? And statistically, it bears yeah. out that play action with shotgun is not as influential or as effective as play action under center. It just Correct. doesn't work as well. So the way that offense is in college, because remember, every college team is shotgun. Nobody in college runs under, under center. center. No. So every college team is shotgun. So the way that teams in college adapted to the fact that defenses didn't care about play action from the gun was RPOs. They started putting in RPOs into their offense, and now that's sort of the counter to defenses not reacting to play action from the gun is now we have RPOs. You have to have the ability to free somebody. This is how you get the man advantage on the defender. You have to have them hesitate for even a split second to decide, right. okay, which way is he going? You got that with play action. You get that with RPO. Right, and so now they're starting to flirt with it, right? Yeah. They're starting to yeah. dip their toes in that water. But you also have to have a quarterback who has a, has a th- real threat to run as well as the pass option. At times, I think a lot of the RPOs that they ran at Alabama and a lot of the RPOs that I'm sure the Patriots are implementing now really don't have a quarterback run element attached to but it. But it's good to have that. If you, if well, you're you, not going to have that ha- with Mac. Well, you, it, but what I'm saying is, is that it's good to have that at least as a threat, even even if it's in a scramble situation. I mean, let's face it. You, you don't have Josh Allen, okay? Right. And yet Josh Allen, to me, while he's been magnificent for Buffalo and he will probably remain that way this year, he's going to get beat up so bad. I mean, is this guy going to have a three-year career, five-year career, six- or seven-year career? I don't know that he makes it that long. Just because I don't care how big and how tough and how strong he is. He's going to continue to take those hits, and even the Bills know that. Okay, Even Buffalo knows that. And I'm sure that will be a topic of conversation at some point in time this year. I'll give you a good example. You know, Cam Newton. He's a perfect example. Uh, how about Donovan McNabb? We want to really go back. How about Donna McNabb, 20, 25 years ago? Yeah, Dante Culpepper, those guys. Look, they were great quarterbacks early in their career, and they didn't hesitate to move, but they kept getting beat up on it, and it just saps the life out of your legs, your arm, and everything else you got because you keep getting pounded like that. So it's good to have the threat. I would tell you that Mac probably every once in a while should pull it down and run. We saw that last week against yeah, Pittsburgh. I got two. no issue with that. It was a great time to do it. You have to know when to do it. But you got to have at least the threat to put that bit of doubt in the defense. And if you can do that, then you know that's half the battle won. I, he's not going to take off like the guy we're going to see on Sunday. No, Lamar. no, no, no. But, I'm not expecting, no. But five or six yards here and there, yeah, I think, yeah. is in his wheelhouse. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I, oh, goodness, no. <laughs> that would be a, a stunner. And, and we'll, we'll get to that coming up a little bit. But you mentioned Nelson Aguilar. Um, yes. Why did he have such a game this last week as opposed to week one or what we saw during the preseason, which was basically zero? My favorite thing about their plan on Sunday offensively is what they were doing with Aguilar because this is something that we have seen teams do against the Patriots Mm -hmm. for years. The Patriots have always been Superman heavy, right? They play a lot of man coverage on defense. And what do teams do? They run crossing routes at different depths of the defense, and they just make you win foot races back and forth on the field all over the place. And I think the game you go back to – 
is that second Buffalo game last year with Isaiah McKenzie, right? He has that big game, and you look at his route chart, and it's it's just crossers going in different directions, mm-hmm. right? He's, first, he's crossing from left to right. Now he's right to left. Now he's left to right. And what they were doing with Nelson was very similar. They are turning it into as many individual 100-meter dashes as they possibly can for him, or let's call them 40-yard dashes, right, because a little bit shorter of a field than 100 meters. So four, little 40-yard dashes, here, a little 40 yard dash there, you know, up the vertical on the sideline. Nelson and uh, Mac hits him for the big touchdown. They are using him inside and outside the formation to find as many ways as possible to get his 4 4 speed going downhill. Whatever we can do to get him into a foot race, coming across the field, up the field, whatever, that's what we're going to do. And that's what he's here for. That's why he was signed, was because with the Raiders, he was a very, very good deep threat. He could get up the field, he could be a vertical threat, and that's why he's here. So finally, this week, I felt like, you know, he's running shallows, he's running intermediate crossers, he's running the verticals on the sideline, and we're starting to use some of his speed element to get that vertical or horizontal stretch the defense. It's a lot like what the Chiefs for years <laughs> did with Tyree Kill. We're just going to run you in different directions across the field, and nobody's going to be able to keep up with you one-on-one. And that was what happened with Nelson Aguilar. That's why he broke out, and not to get too ahead of ourselves, but once Taekwon comes back, I was just going to ask that. Now we have two guys that can do that, that can work off of each other in different ways. That's what made Kansas City so effective right, when they had him. Right. That's what's making Miami so effective right now. With Waddle and Hill. Yeah. Right? So now all of a sudden you get a vertical of some sort, probably like a deep post or uh, just a go or something with Taekwon, and that takes the safety and that takes the corner up the field with him. And now Nelson Aguilar is filling in on the intermediate crosser and he's just got one-on-one coming across the field. And all he's got to do is win a foot race, which he's done his whole life. Like that's why he's in the NFL. And I think that was part of the problem that a lot of people had in week one. Anyway, he didn't seem to be winning any foot races. He was not getting separation from the defenders. Miami, of course, does have pretty good defensive backs, but at the same time, there was no separation. There was some frustration there. There was some doubt. So you got to have at least a little bit of a different philosophy, I think. You've got to have guys playing off of each other, crisscrossing, if you will. And then look, basically tell them, dude, this is why you're here. We need you here. If you're not going to play this way, the way that we need you to play, you're probably going to spend you know pine time on the bench, right? So they ran him eleven routes out of the out of the slot, which I like because that's really where you can get that two way go, right? He can go outside, he can go inside, mm-hmm. and you really have a lot of space to cover if you're a defender out of the slot. It's also harder to help to the slot, I would say, as well at times too. So you have the slot there. And he can just run these foot races across the field. And I think that that's really how they got him going. And you look at their overall since the beginning of last year, no quarterback has faced man coverage at a higher rate than Mac Jones. Every single defense in the NFL comes into Foxborough or welcomes the Patriots to their town and play man. Why? Because the Patriots don't have the weapons on the outside to really terrify you. Secondly, you want that extra guy in the box against the run. That's what teams are emphasizing when they play the Patriots is we got to stop Damian Harris and we got to stop Ramondre Stevenson. That's item number one on the whiteboard for every single coaching staff that comes into New England. So they're playing single high to get that extra guy in the box. They're playing man-to-man on the outside, and they're essentially daring Mac Jones to beat them throwing to the perimeter. Like, if you're going to beat us throwing to Nelson Aguilar like he did last week, tip the cap, good job by you, you won the game. That's what defenses want. 
I think the most optimistic thing you can come away from the offensive performance last week was that they did make the Steelers pay a little bit for playing man coverage. Was it perfect? Was it 11 yards per attempt against man or something crazy like that? No, no. but it was eight. And eight yards per attempt against man is really, really good. Solid. You also throw in a 44-yard touchdown right before the half against man coverage. And now we're talking about, okay, you know, and, and I think some of the players talked about this after the game. You have to play a little bit more zone. Maybe you play a little bit more split safety. And now all of a sudden the box is lighter. Lighter, and then you start. on the football. And that's what happened at the end of the game. Right. That last 6.33. Right. So, box was lighter, and the Patriots took advantage. Yeah, and that's the chess match, right? That's yeah. that's the numbers game yeah. or the chess match that yeah. goes on. So if the Patriots cannot throw teams out of man coverage, and they're going to put seven, eight guys in the box, they're not going to be able to run the football, and you're going to have low efficiency. Then but you've got to have receivers that can get separation and get open. Right, and that's where Aguilar, yeah. I think, came in last week and finally gave some of that separation. And I would say you know, some of the digs or the in-breaking routes that they ran with Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne also got some things going for them against man. Right. And, and that softened up the defense right. a little bit to run right. the football late. Right. All right, Mike Reese from ESPN.com is going to join us here in seven minutes, but let's do some uh, let's do some phone calls. 855-PATS-500. Sean in Vancouver leads us off. Hello, Sean. Hey, John. How's it going? Good. What's going on, man? Uh, well, last week I don't think too many people were surprised with that game. Uh, I would be getting a, uh, a yearbook had uh, they not gone for two uh, – the Steelers on on that touchdown. Uh, so yeah, the, you know, seven, uh, whatever it was in, in that game was close, but not really. It was, I think, the Patriots uh, played them. Uh, but the, the Ravens, I, I'm, I'm not as confident. I I think this one, the Ravens were going to get. I, I'm predicting 24-21 uh, for Baltimore. And um, I also um, I, I mentioned this on. on call in other shows, but I, I want to see your take on this. In terms of the offensive line, they played well blocking and uh, giving Mac protection, but I want them to cut down on the penalties. There were two called, and there should have been three because uh, Trent Brown was mm-hmm. jumped uh, two minutes you know, into mm-hmm. the, to the end of the first half. Yeah, got an early start. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly, uh, I, I think discipline can always improve. And, you know, so, I mean, uh, look, uh, anytime you shoot yourself in the foot, does it kill your drive? I think there were a couple of opportunities where that happened last week uh, that could have provided a little bit more comfort room uh, for the Patriots than 17-14 at the end. I think they had a couple – I think I documented two drives, maybe three, where a penalty came in and kind of uh, snuffed it out. Evan, do you re- do you recall? There was one drive where I believe they got a false start and then they got the intentional grounding yeah. penalty, and that drive just stalled completely out, obviously, after two big penalties like that. Look, I, I'm not disagreeing that some of those penalties could be cleaned up, but the Patriots are routinely one of the least penalized teams in the league. And especially with offensive line play, I mean, there's false starts, there's holdings, there's all these calls. Especially if guys are trying to decide, okay, where is it I got to go again when I'm zone blocking? (laughs) There's there's this stuff every week. Like, this happens like, you know, there's 10 penalties on the offensive line every single game. You know what I mean? Like, so I I have a tough time, like, getting too 
hot and bothered about a couple of the penalties that they had on Sunday. Except for the ones that serve as drive killers. Because it's pretty clear to see, you know, if you, if you get an offensive holding on a on a on a second and three play that knocks you back ten yards, sure. it's kind of like I, I guess I guess I should rephrase it. The penalties that happen in live play, like yeah. the holding, yeah, those things are going to happen. The other guy, the other guys get paid too. It's hard to block those guys, and that's going to happen. The pre-snap penalties, the false starts—that's the, the one that you can do something about right. with the whole mental attitude right. and locking in. And hey, let's you know, let's be that, alert. Here. That's something that definitely yeah. needs to be cleaned up. But yeah. holdings like that type of stuff, I, I don't really like get too crazy about because it's football and, and penalties happen. Yeah. Because it's, it's a progression. So the first week they had issues with protection and blocking for the running game. Last week they did better with that. So now my next thing is can we clean up these pre-snap penalties? Can we get a little bit more discipline like the Patriots have been in the past? Yeah, that, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's an, uh, a large individual issue. But, I mean, I think they took some, you know, uh, some steps. And that's all you want. It's small steps. And, and that's what we saw from week to week. We're seeing some progression, and I think you need to continue to see some progression. But you're also stepping up, I think, in terms of the, the talent on the other side of the field this week, whether it's home game or not, right? Yeah, the, the Baltimore's going to put up some points. We know that. So yeah, they, they, they will. They, they will definitely do that. Sean, thank you for the phone call. Let's get uh, Patty and Agawam in here. Hey, Patty. Johnny, Evan, what's going on? What's up, kid? Uh, not too much. Just uh, you know, working my uh, working my butt off as usual. <laughs> well, I'm glad but somebody is. <laughs> I can always find the time to call into Patriots.com. At a boy, at a boy. We always like that. I want. Hell yeah, you know it, John. I, know. I wanted to touch on um, one thing Evan said and and ask uh, a question, kind of a I don't know. It's kind of a convoluted question, and throw out a prediction. Sure. So let me get to it. Um, Evan, you brought up Rodney Harrison. I brought that same issue up to the guys on PU yesterday, and I, I guess I could have phrased it better and said, why Why do you think Rodney Harrison hasn't made that like final 16 cut? Because when I look at guys like you said, like Brian Dawkins or Troy Palomalu, I mean, Ed Reed, he's in a class by himself, obviously. he's. I mean, probably him and Aaron Donald are probably the two best defensive players of the last 25 years, but that next tier down, I think Rodney's definitely right there um he's still only the only defensive back to have 30 sacks and 30 interceptions in his career and i just i don't understand why he doesn't get the love i mean you know like they like they like to say you know it when you see it and when i saw that guy play san diego and in new england he looked and played like a hall of fame he's he's not getting the love he's not getting the love patty because there are still a lot of people who look at rodney as a dirty player yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. I yeah, and even in that era, I mean, you were allowed to hit guys. You were allowed to go high when you hit somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, the chuck rule and all that stuff came into effect or really got emphasized after the 2003 season, but guys were still getting killed going over the middle. And, well, I've, I've had this conversation with Rodney before uh, on the air, on this show even, I think probably a couple of years ago when he first started doing the, the whole Sunday Night Football broadcast on NBC. And, and we talked about that in his legacy. And he's like, you know, the only thing that I really care about in terms of my legacy is is I want to be known as a guy who gave it his all, who played as hard as he could potentially play on every snap 
of the ball. I wanted to do, and I'm paraphrasing here what he told me, but you know, I wanted to do whatever it took to win that play and win that moment. And if that means that i got to take a guy out, that means I take a guy out. That was my job. If that's what they wanted me to do, that's what my job was. Now, some people, he said, I never purposely went into a situation thinking, i got to take this guy down. Yep. He was just ultra-physical. He was so physical to the point, and he was the, he's the perfect kind of guy that you love to hate. You love him on your team, you hate him on the other team. That was Rodney Harrison, and for that reason alone, because he could galvanize that kind of emotion out of fans, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, in my, in, in, at least in, in my instance. Yeah, I think it's three prongs. One, you mentioned the dirty player stuff, which I think is – Especially at that point in, in that era, like right. we're, we're we're pre all these rules to protect everybody and stuff like that. So what does that really mean? The second thing, unfortunately, I, I would say he did get knocked for PDs at one point, And I mm-hmm. do think that some people, some old school people are going to hold that over him. Just like they're doing in baseball. Right. And the last thing I, I would just say for him, the media thing is interesting. And I, I think sometimes when players go into the media after they're playing careers, unless it's it's like Peyton Manning. It's just like you can't not have Peyton Manning in the Hall of Fame. But remember the boys club that is voting on <laughs> these Hall of Famers? Mm-hmm. You know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame voters, it is po- it's political. Mm-hmm. It's really political. It's, I'll vote for your guy this year, but my guy's coming up next year, and we got to get my guy into the Hall of Fame next year. And there's a lot of that sort of lobbying oh, yeah. that goes on uh, amongst these guys. And, and I think sometimes when it's a borderline player like Rodney, for people, I'm not saying it's borderline for me. I'm saying borderline for the general public. Sometimes th- that politicking when a guy's going on NBC before Sunday Night Football and giving his uh, God's honest truth about uh, how guys are playing or how a coach is coaching his team or whatever the case may be, you, you get to some of those blurred lines. So I, I don't. I think the one thing about the Hall of Fame that maybe doesn't get talked about enough, especially the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I, I don't know about the others. I'm sure baseball is just the same way, but yeah. I, I don't know enough about it, is the politics that go on behind the scenes among the voters. And let's also remember, John, they don't add voters very often. So there's not a whole lot of, look, I I don't have anywhere near the experience to be a voter. People get stuck in their ways. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of voters from my generation or even the generation, you know, right before me, right? Like there's not a whole lot of younger voters. Let me put it to you that way. There's not. So old habits are hard to kick. Yeah. So a lot of these guys have made up their mind about Rodney years ago and they're just not going to change their mind. People have made up their mind about Barry Bonds and, you know, uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and baseball and, you know, steroid era, (laughs) hell with them. Right. But frankly, look, a hall of fame is supposed to be a snapshot of history. Okay. And you can't ignore history whether it's positive or negative that's not you're not supposed to say well everything's all fine and good in the hall of fame it's not because the hall of fame is like life it's a snapshot of life so you got to take the bad with the good and i've always been for i don't really have an issue i think you know look if watch a guy play can he play you should know if he's a good player, if he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. Does he make all pro teams? How do his teammates feel about him? How do the opposition feel about him? And, you know, that's what you gauge a guy's career on, not whether or not you think he was a dirty player or not. But I think yeah. that's that's certainly a, a major factor still uh, through the media, which is part of the reason I think why Rodney went into television when he got out of 
you know, playing, you know, ball because he wanted to soften that stance a little bit and be shown that he does have a, a persona about him that is extraordinarily pleasing. You know, he's a, he's the kind of a guy that you want to sit around with and, you know, shoot the bleep with and have a beer with or whatever. When Rodney first got started, I was still working at NBC Sports Radio in Stamford, Connecticut. And he was doing those shows, and he couldn't have been nicer to everybody that he met he talked to. He's just a regular guy, but, boy, when he put on those pads, he's as ferocious as anybody. I loved watching him play. Yeah, we, and, we and, all did. And I think what you really saw with Rodney was – Belichick letting go of the reins a little bit with the player yeah, and yeah, letting yeah. him roam right. and just hunt for the football. Like right. it wasn't necessarily as cut and dry for Rodney where okay, we're we're in cover 3 and you have the deep middle and that's like your responsibility. It was he had so much more freelancing freedom right. that was built into what they were doing totally. from a bigger picture and that's why he was always yeah. around the football. All right, Mike Reese from uh, ESPN ESPN.com is taking time out of his busy schedule to join us in the playbook. Mike, thanks so much. Really appreciate it today, bud. How are you? Oh, doing great, John. Evan, always great to be with you. How you guys doing? We're good. We're doing good. Well, Mike, thanks. So I asked Evan this a little bit earlier. How was uh, how was Vince today? Trying on the jacket. Tremendous. I told him he looked like a linebacker, John. <laughs> and, uh, wow. Really that must have been a great compliment. <laughs> he he looks great, guys. And Evan, you were there, and uh, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. I I was expecting him to turn the corner and and you know all of us have to get out of the way for him or something like that. And he was. He was a, a he's small Vince now. I used to call him Big Vince. He's small Vince now. <laughs> That's right. And he was saying, J- John, he was uh, talking about how last year when the Patriots were playing down in Florida, he went to go visit Bill Belichick uh, at the hotel, and that's all Bill could talk about, like. Vince wanted to talk to him about other stuff, he ca- and Bill kept coming back to, hey, you look so good, I can't believe this. I know, right? Good, and, and everybody likes to see, you know, people that, you know, um, you know that were friendly, outgoing, personable, had good careers, good people. I mean, you know, it's just, I, you understand why Bill has such an affection for a lot of his former players here because of what they meant to, you know, not only this team, this organization, but what they meant to, I'm sure, to each other personally, which is why this is a great moment this weekend to get a guy like Vince Wilfork into the prof, into the, uh, the Patriots Hall of Fame. And so my question, Mike, is what do you think are his legitimate chances on the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Because that's how we initially turned our attention around to Rodney Harrison as well. Yeah, it's a great one, John. And and I'm not I'm not great at this topic because I, I sort of fall into the Bill Belichick line of thinking in terms of like you tell me the criteria and then I can answer the question and there's really no criteria, right? And uh, I, what I do know is among the voters, and I heard Evan talking about it, um, there's a few that just feel like the Patriots are underrepresented in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and they are advocating uh, heavily to try to get more names in there. And it doesn't stop at Vince or Rodney Harrison. I mean, I, I heard Willie McGinnis, Teddy Bruschi, they want these guys. They want to try to build some momentum. Um, you know, for guys that won three Super Bowls, I feel like the Patriots should have more guys in there. Yeah, and I think a lot of fans would certainly uh, agree with that, you know. And this is an opportunity because, as we were talking earlier, we think Vince could very well be the next Patriot that, you know, gets into the big hall. Although, again, that's what brought up Rodney as well because I do think Rodney, for the last several years, has gone through a sort of a, a, 
a softening of his hard persona, you know, through his television appearances and become more personable and more relatable to a lot of people. And I'm hopeful that perhaps that will cause some who vote for this particular award to look at him a little bit differently. And that's really it, John. You know, it's like when you put those voters together, it's like when you're making a case for Rodney, you got to get Bill Belichick in there, Ernie Adams in there yeah. to talk about how how much how vital he was mm-hmm. to what they did and they need to hear that. Yeah. Because you know, otherwise you get there's a lot of good candidates out there. We're looking at it sort of through the patriot specific lens. But to me, the credibility of Bill Belichick's voice and talking about Rodney, I mean, he feels so strongly. You can just tell listening to him that Rodney should be in there and the fact that Rodney hasn't even made it to the finalists, I mean, that that tells me that there's a gap, you know, in the process. There's a blind spot, and I'm hoping they can address it going forward. Mike, I saw a tweet yesterday that uh, you put out that I got a little chuckle uh, from, and I get a frequent chuckle from things that you tweet out, but you had a uh, Bill Belichick press conference smile tracker, mm. and I think you listed it yesterday at like six smiles by Bill during his press conference, and then you put a hashtag in there, not used to this, which I actually thought was cut. That's what made me laugh. And I said, well, of course we're not used to it. Why is Bill happy, or why is he happier? Is it because of the win? Is it because the team is in the heading in the right direction? Was he amused at the idiocy of the question that was asked? What was it? Oh, man, I might defer to Evan on this because I want to see <laughs> if I'm seeing it the right way. I mean, John, he did it last week when after they had lost. You know, so um, it's a different approach is what I'm sort of deducing uh, in these news conferences. The idea of um, maybe in the past I might make the case that it felt like he walked in the door and he was like, I just don't even want to really be here. And my answers are going to reflect that. Mm -hmm. Whereas this year, just my take on it, and it's been very pleasant, guys, is he walks in the door and it's almost the mindset is, well, I might not want to be here, but I have to be here, so I might as well make the best of it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the best way I could sum it up from my view. But to be honest, I'd love to hear what Evan has to say about it, and if he sort of has experienced the same thing that I have sitting there. Yeah, actually, I think it's getting to the point now where it's almost a bit, right? Like he, when we ask him about, oh, is this guy going to practice? That's or, what I thought. What, this what, is this, a bit, right? Yeah, yeah yesterday, <laughs> we, I think... Uh, Mark at, Mark Daniels, the Providence Journal, asked him about the Justin Huron trade because yeah. it had just broken. The news had just broken that Justin Huron was traded to the Raiders, and it, him smirking at the end of these answers, like "I I know you know, and I know I know, but I'm not going to tell you" type of thing, has become a bit. It's it's really, I, you know, I Mike's been covering the team since a lot longer than I have, but since 2018, I I have been covering the team and I have not seen him smile this often. So I don't know if it, what it is. I I, I would hate to kind of guess, but psychological warfare. Yeah. But the, the, (laughs) this little smirks at the end about where we were talking about him, the, all the play caller stuff in the preseason with him, forget which game that was after, if that was after the giants or after Carolina, it's a process smirk. It's a process smirk. I mean, that, that bit has really become a, a main, stay now of his press conferences all right so mike what what's your assessment then of how this team has progressed through two weeks of the regular season i mean 
we know that it was there were some small steps taken, I think, in a positive direction last week uh, against the Steelers. It's an entirely different challenge this week for for Baltimore, considering you know what they have and who they have at quarterback in particular. Uh, is this team trending the way it should be? Where are they missing out? So my my view on the team, John, going into the season was that they needed to steal one or two wins within the first quarter of the season just to buy themselves more time. You know, that that's my biggest theme because I felt like um, what has surprised me this year is the, the significance of the change on offense. All these years that they've switched coordinators whenever they have, I've always felt like it's been more of a continuation. So Charlie Weiss in 2004 – to Josh McDaniels in 2005, it was sort of like, yeah, we're running the same offense, right? Yeah. With, mm-hmm. with, and it was a little bit smooth. Josh McDaniels to Bill O'Brien in 2009, if I have the year right. Like, it felt like that was smooth, same offense, you know, not, not major change. Um, you know, Josh comes back, takes it back from Bill, smooth. Um, this one, <clears throat> different. And so because of that, my feeling has been, just don't dig themselves too big of a hole early and just buy themselves time to build what they're trying to do because they're sort of behind, if that makes sense, um, relative to where, I, where I've seen them at this point in the past. Okay. I, I just, uh, before I forget about it, um, with the, the personnel move that was made with the Justin Huron trade you know, yesterday uh, as it came about, is that because, did he become expendable because of Marcus Cannon resigning? So I do think that I do think that's part of it, John. I think a couple factors. Uh, number one, they needed a roster spot because Daniel Aquali, the defensive tackle, his two-game suspension was up, mm. and his exemption. You know, they had a couple days to sort of carry him before they had to make a roster move. So they and they wanted to put Aquali on the 53-man roster. They think he deserves a spot there. So it starts with that, and then the question becomes: Okay, we need to create a spot. How do we do that? Oh, the Raiders are having trouble at right tackle. Um, we might be able to get something in return for uh, Justin Haran. And knowing we have Marcus Cannon, and I'm talking from the perspective of Matt Groh, Director of Player Personnel, Bill Belichick, that's how I would piece that together. All those sort of factors lead to the move being made. Sure. All right. So then more specifically then about the the, uh, the the Ravens and the matchup this week, you know, Lamar had an unbelievable, you know, offensive uh, game uh, last week, even though Miami came back to, to, to snake him in the end, which was a remarkable turnaround uh, uh, in and of itself. But when you face that kind of, I mean, where does this team – match up well because as I look at the matchups at least myself just from my own layman point of view I'm not sure I really see any advantages here and so this has got to be a quintessential Bill Belichick game plan this is what we need to do to try to beat these guys uh, because we can't match up with them do you see it that way and if you're not where how do you see it okay so so part of it I do see part of it that way I, I will tell you one area where I think the Patriots match up really well and maybe it's being overlooked is their defensive line and their front as a whole is playing very well against what I would call the traditional running game. Okay. Like, um, last two weeks, I mean, I, I think they've controlled the line of scrimmage for the most part. And when you look at the Ravens, you know, they haven't had J.K. Dobbins at running back. Outside of Lamar as a runner, 
their running game, this is not, John, it's not like the running game that we've seen from them in the past with, you know, Ray Rice or some of their bell cow backs. They've actually struggled to run it in the traditional sense. So I, I see the Patriots with a little bit of an advantage in that aspect, but then it sort of falls back on the other side. You still got to deal with Lamar and their big playability on the outside. Yeah, And yeah. Mark Andrews, for that matter, the tight end who's outstanding. Yeah, he's turned out to be a really, really good one. All right, Mikey, thanks for a little bit of time. It's always appreciated, buddy. We'll see you at the stadium on Sunday. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great rest of the show. Got it. You appreciate that. Mike Reese, at Mike Reese on Twitter, R-E-I-S-S, but I know you follow him because I think he's got like 75 million followers on Twitter or something at least close to it, right? All right. Uh, you're so, a Patriots fan and you don't follow Mike Reese? Or, yeah, I'm are you like, even a Patriots fan? Really? That's what I would wonder. I think you get non-Patriots fans following Mike Reese because just look at it. The guy, you know, is, you know. Bro. Yeah, totally. And he th- and to think he started right here in our own little confines. I mean, you know, he and by the way, I should also mention kudos out to Field Yates, who's another Patriots.com alum, because Field Yates just got a new you know contract with ESPN as well. So yeah, it's going well. See, I went the other way. I started out with ESPN and <laughs> out with the Patriots, and <laughs> just the way it works. I know I missed out on the upward curve, especially the salary part. All right, uh, so we've got Ryan Mink from BaltimoreRavens.com coming up in just a sec. Patriot Place is the region's number one shopping, dining, and entertainment destination. Shop your favorites, including Vineyard Vines, Express, Olympia Sports, Petco, and more. Enjoy dining at one of our 19 restaurants, including Six String Grill and Stage, Scorpion Bar, and Bar Louie. And don't forget about the entertainment. Explore your inner artist at Muse Paint Bar, watch a movie at Showcase Cinema Deluxe, or grab a controller and start gaming at Helix Esports. For a complete directory listing, please visit patriot-place.com. How did Verizon build the fastest 5G in the world? We started by building it right with 5G Ultra Wideband. Then we gave it massive capacity and near zero lag. And it's not just fast, it's 25 times faster than today's 4G networks. This is 5G built right from the network more people rely on, only on Verizon. 5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. Global claim based on open signal independent analysis. 25 times analysis by Ookla Speed Test Intelligence data Q2 2020. Okay, you lovely lot. Time now for some of Classy Claire's Sneaky Cheeky Tay. Cheeky in American English would be wise ass. Hi there, you lovely lot. So another Classy Claire Sneaky Cheeky Taker. Huh? So, Patriots, there's lots of Joneses. There's multiple Harrises. No drama. Let's just rename Damien Harris Steamroller. Yeah, baby! Oh, I love Claire. <laughs> She's going to give us some sneaky, you know, cheeky comments on the Patriots uh, as a part of uh, our, our programs here uh, every week. And so we're happy that she's going to contribute in a little in a different form or fashion. I mean, let's call it the way it is. That's That's what she does best. Absolutely, it's what she does best. We look forward to all of her contributions at some point in time here on the program. All right, before we get to Ryan, Nosy Rosie is in Brockton. Hi, Nosy Rosie. How are you? Excellent. How are you? I am fine, thank you. I have. I, I just have to make three statements, and I'll hang up and listen. Okay. Okay. The first statement is, where did the Patriots' energy go? Energy? I, I don't know what happened to them. Last year, they was playing off of each other. Oh. This year, that don't seem to be the, the case. Honestly, at least my opinion, and Evan, I, I want your input on this as well, I think a lot of it has to do with just a little bit of indecision out there. 
they're coaching something different this year that some of these guys that have been here before uh, have not been used to. We talked about the whole offensive line uh, stretch, and I think you know when you're a little indecisive, it's harder for you to pin your ear backs your ears back and get after it. We saw more of that, however, last week against the Steelers. So be interested to see how much more of it we get this week against Baltimore. Yeah, I would say energy comes from winning. Yeah, comes from playing well. Yeah, it's kind of hard to be energetic when when you're losing, right? So. Yeah. Uh, I think Bill Belichick's also honestly one of the bigger proponents of enjoying winning, yeah. <laughs> enjoying playing yeah. well, celebrating in those moments. But yeah, when you're losing in week one against Miami and you're down two touchdowns, it's a little bit difficult to be energetic. All right, Rosie, what's well, next? You know, what, what, we, what we really need to understand is that the Dolphins got a real good team this year. Oh, yeah. No, but that hasn't lost on anybody, believe me. They're extraordinarily talented. Especially on the offensive yes, side of the ball, are. right? Yeah, I think it's a yeah. good. The Dolphins are a really good example because I'll be honest, I'm not sold on Tua. I, I still don't. No, I'm not either. I, I'm still not 100 percent sure that he's a difference maker at quarterback. Yeah, right. But when you have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, a lot of quarterbacks are going to look good with throwing to those two receivers, especially when it, a I good, think I could look coach. good. Yeah. With those two guys catching from me, I think it'd make me look like, you know, who's the 63-year-old out there throwing the football around? Yeah, I, I always think it's funny when they they release those Offensive Player of the Week awards and Tua was the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. And I was like, I mean, was Tua the reason they, they came back or was Tyree Kill the reason why ah, they came come back? On, let's be real about it. But, you know, hey, hey somebody's okay. got to throw it, right? What else What else you got, Rosie? Well, I hope Mac Jones, he, he gives me the quivers. I get scared. Because it's almost like, why can't you score more than seventeen points? A lot of that's not on him, as you're probably aware. All right, he's okay. You know, so a lot of that is is definitely not on him. He's got to have blockers. He's got to have you know runners. He's got to have receivers that get open. You know, you know when he underthrows a you know a fifty fifty ball and he gets picked off. Okay, well you know hey maybe that is on him, but I, I don't think that, especially when you're trying to do some different things. You got to have everybody on the same page, and it's still difficult getting everybody on the same page here. Yeah, I think the trust well, in the offensive line maybe not be might not fully yeah, be there. Yeah, I would buy that. I There's buy some that. hesitancy. You see him not necessarily stepping into every throw, or his mechanics, his lower body mechanics, not being as clean with his footwork as you would probably see for a quarterback that truly trusts mm-hmm. the five guys protecting for him. And I, I don't think that they're bad players. I just think that that's still a work in progress. One more, Rosie. One more. I would very much like to see Kendrick Bourne out there a lot more. <laughs> I think you and the rest of Patriots Nation feel the same way, right? I'm getting a little bit, a little bit bothered, John, by all the the Kendrick Bourne needs to play more talk because <laughs> I got to be honest with you, uh, he played 24 snaps in the game last mm-hmm. week. That's how many snaps he played last year. He's a 50% snap guy last year. And look, he had a great year last year, 55 catches, 800 yards, second leading receiver on the team behind Jacoby Myers. Really good passing game player. When it's first and 10, the Patriots are not going to put Kendrick Bourne in the game. He's not a run game, two-way type of player. That's just not how they view him. It's not necessarily that he can't do it. I don't know if he can do it or not, but they don't view him as a what I would call a base Blocking down guy, player. Base guy, yeah. Right. right. They view him as a sub passing game player. So last year he's a fifty percent fifty percent usage rate. He had a great year. Like he doesn't need to be out there more necessarily. Like I think that that's that's where he is as a player and uh, I, I don't know 
why uh, everybody then expected him to go from 50% snap usage last year. Then they bring in Devontae Parker, they draft Tyquan Thornton, and now he's supposed to go up to 80 or 90% with all these other guys in the mix. I, I just... I think there's a little bit of where he was last week against Pittsburgh was fine. Where he was the week before was a, definitely not okay. But where he was last week against Pittsburgh was fine. Was I that was an oversight? Yeah, right? Do you feel like that was an oversight on the coaching staff to not have him in there more in that first week? or Honestly, I, I know between these walls we are careful with yeah. saying these types of things. Of course you have to be. It's a punishment. Let's let's call it for what it was. Let's it was call it. That's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just think I'm like, and this is where you have to get beyond it. I mean, you know, we got to put on our big boy pants here. Okay, so you had a little tete-a-tete, you know, in the locker room or whatever, and get by it because it's the business here is about winning football games. Yeah. So if you're having a hard time with an individual, look, then just have a conversation with the individual. Uh, say your piece. Get by it. Serve your little suspension, penalty, whatever you do, and let's move on. And I think that's more or less what they did against the Steelers. Okay. But you have this grouping now with little Jordan Humphrey. Little Jordan Humphrey is your first and ten player, right? Okay. Like he's the blocking. Yeah. He's He's the new Nikhil Harry, basically. Yeah. Right. It's just, I don't know. I think Kendrick Bourne's role last week was fine. All right. Ryan Mink covers the uh, the Ravens. He's the editorial director for Ravens.com, and he joined us here inside the playbook. Ryan, thanks for a couple of minutes here. Let, let's kind of start right off with the obvious. Uh, uh, Lamar Jackson's status, because I know that you know we've seen where he's you know been bruised up a little bit after last week. Maybe he had some extra protection on his arm this week, but he sure had a hell of a performance, even if the team didn't win last week. Yeah, I don't think that Lamar Jackson's health is an issue at all. He's practicing today and throwing today. doesn't have the arm sleeve on his elbow. I don't think he was really banged up against the Dolphins. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Maybe it's just he's been throwing more past the first couple weeks, and this will just be a Wednesday. He wears the arm sleeve and whatever kind of, you know, maintenance, arm maintenance. Um but, yeah, it's nothing that I think is going to hold him back at all on Sunday. He is such an incredible focal point for so many different reasons. He's an exciting player to watch. He's obviously a very talented player. Um, how much is this issue with his contract hanging a cloud over this team and this team's performance? doesn't seem to be at all. And, and that's one thing that Lamar's teammates talked about all offseason, you know, as these uh, negotiations were going on, is that Lamar never talked about it. Mm-hmm. It just didn't seem to be something um, that, you know, he was going to concern himself with all that much. Obviously, for anybody that's going through a contract negotiation of that magnitude, you're, you're probably thinking about it. But he's been the same guy in the building. He's been the same guy on the practice field, in the locker room. Everybody's kind of baffled those around him that it just doesn't seem like it's affecting him at all. I want to ask you, Ryan, about uh, Mike McDonald. And what is a Mike McDonald defense? Because I think two games into the season, obviously here in New England, they do not have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. So I'm not sure they're, they're going to play the Patriots the same exact way they played the Miami Dolphins last week. What is a Mike McDonald defense and how different would it would you say it is from what Wink was doing there? Yeah, I think that Mike it doesn't have the uh, just natural penchant for always bringing blitzes and, and the heat that Wink Martindale does. I think that Wink kind of coaches with much more emotion than Mike does. Um, you know, Mike's other kind of calling card is multiple looks, playing people in uh, a lot of different positions, corners playing safety. 
safety's playing corner, safety's playing linebacker. You know, he, um, you know, has really deployed a heavy three-safety look here in Baltimore um, that I think mixes and matches coverages to keep opponents more on their toes, whereas I think Wink, people had kind of uh, gotten, you know, opposing offensive coordinators kind of understood what Wink was going to do. Well, third long, Wink's going to bring a blitz. What blitz is going to be? We don't know exactly what kind of blitz, but he's coming. And, you know, even though you're bringing that, that pressure, it becomes predictable. And I think that Mike is a little less predictable. Yeah. Along those lines, I I saw Marcus Williams. I wanted to ask you about him and what he's brought to the defense because you mentioned that they play guys in different spots. I think he dropped off the line of scrimmage all the way to the deep middle in one play. And I, I just, whenever you see things like that, you, you they stand out to you. But what has Marcus Williams brought to this defense there at safety? Definitely just the playmaking ability, and that was a huge reason why the Ravens went out and made a splash signing in free agency to get him. I mean, he's got three interceptions in two games. Last year, the Ravens' leader in interceptions was Anthony Abert with three all season long. And so that's just been a big change for this defense in terms of, you know, really a lot of it is not giving up the big plays. And I know that sounds pretty wild coming off the game where the Dolphins scored 42 points and we all saw the bombs they threw at the end of the game to come back. Well, Marcus Williams wasn't in deep coverage on either one of those Tyreek Hill touchdowns. And so had he been, and he was earlier in the game, when Tua went deep down the sideline and Marcus picked him off, nice toe-drag interception right along the sideline, I think that the Ravens are going to stay, and, and like you said, the Patriots' offense is a lot different from the Dolphins, but you know, Marcus Williams, I think, is a guy that, that has that playmaking potential of the range on the back end that makes quarterbacks think twice about about going deep over him. All right. So with, you know, individual pieces of the puzzle there and the and the unbelievable performance from uh you know from Lamar last week, what the hell happened last week? They just had some blown coverages. I mean, A, I think that Tua got hot, the Dolphins offense just got hot, and I think the Dolphins offense is, is gonna be pretty good. I think Mike McDaniel is a good coach, and I think they're going to continue to be pretty good. But they mm-hmm. got especially hot in that game. You know, backs against the wall, they just kind of came out chucking. The Ravens had injuries uh, at cornerback. You know, uh, Marlon Humphrey was dealing with a groin issue, so he didn't play at all um, on the final game-winning series for the Dolphins. Marcus Peters is playing in his first game back uh, from last year's knee injury that side behind him for the whole year, so he was limited. Um, so those are starting corners, which then thrust some rookies into pretty big spots mm-hmm. and the rookies had rookie mistakes and just let guys get behind them when that should have never happened. I mean, the game tying touchdown to, to Tyreek Hill. I mean, Tyreek Hill is a special player and insanely fast, but the dude was wide open within 10, 10 strides. And so, you know, he, it was just a, a breakdown in coverage and he just ran back behind a flat footed cornerback with nobody over top. So, you know, the Ravens, I think, feel confident in the talent that they have at cornerback and, and safety. We all talked about going into the season, hey, the Ravens have one of the most talented secondaries in the league, and, and that hasn't changed. They just have to iron out some of these hiccups and the mental mistakes, obviously, that can kill you. Okay. Then sort of along those lines, um, somebody who's sort of um, unsung in this regard Right now, maybe the, maybe even the best player on this team, not named Lamar Jackson, that's not getting the uh, the run, so to speak. Who's who's stepping up right now, and who needs to step up for this team to kind of get back on track after the hiccup last week? 
Yeah, I mean, somebody that I'll point to on offense and is, I mean, really two guys. So the Ravens receiving core caught a lot of flack this offseason. You know, people ranking them as the worst wide receiver group in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They've gotten off to a strong start. Rashad Bateman has two touchdowns in two games, had a 75-yard touchdown on a, a sick slant route that he just caught perfectly in stride and took off on. Um, so Bateman has really gotten off to a hot start. And then beyond him, Devin DuVernay, the Ravens' number two wide receiver, uh, you know, scored two touchdowns in week one against the Jets, has caught every single pass that's come his way that he's been targeted with. Tough and fast dude uh, who makes contested catches. So I would point to two Ravens wide receivers as kind of unheralded players that uh, have stepped up so far this year. Okay. So was last week – I mean, now that you're removed from it from a little bit, how, how do the players feel? How does how does Coach Harbaugh refer to last week? Learning lesson, uh, blip on the radar, um, not who we are, or maybe even is it a, a sign of uh, potential pitfalls that we need to do something about fixing right now here early in the year? Yeah, I think the Ravens look at it mostly as a learning opportunity. Like I said, it was really rookies who made the biggest mistakes in the game. And so those are hard lessons that are hard learned, right? Yeah. And and those are things that you you just don't forget as a rookie, I think. And so you know the, those guys feel the heat right now, and they know that hey, that that L was primarily on me, and uh, and you, you don't forget that you know, especially with a veteran teammates around you, you don't those rookies don't want to let them down, and so. I think that that's kind of – I think the Ravens view that performance as more of an anomaly from their secondary that they have really worked hard to bolster this offseason. Um, at least they're hoping so because the Ravens, you know, last year finished 32nd in the league in pass defense. Mm-hmm. They've had way, given up way too many big days to quarterbacks of throwing over 400 yards. And after all the changes and upgrades they made this offseason, they felt like – you know, confident that they had stemmed the tide on that. Well, they're back at 32nd in the league in passing after that Dolphins, <laughs> after that Dolphins massacre. So uh, this, this secondary, I think, is very determined to prove that it's better than it, what it's ranked right now, and it's certainly a lot better than it was on Sunday. Certainly off the beaten path here, but I have to admit, the Ravens' home uniforms, they're purple with the black. Those are my favorite uniforms in the whole NFL. <laughs> oh, those are sweet. They are sweet. They're they're, they're definitely fire. Fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. So I'm I'm in on that. So, hey, Ryan, thanks so much for a little bit of time, a little bit of insight this week. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll make sure we keep the chatter warm for you uh, up in the press box. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ryan. You got it. All right, bye. Ryan Mink, at Ryan Mink, M-I-N-K, on Twitter. He is the editorial director for all the news and information that you see on Ravens. Dot com, where the Baltimore Ravens set up their online home. I, look, I've always thought that, you know, immensely talented team. They were going to be one of my favorites in that division anyway before this year be- began because I've always respected the heck out of, uh, you know, John Harbaugh. Um, I think Lamar Jackson, he, I, I'm one of the ones that would have loved to seen the Patriots take a, take a whack at him, you know, a couple of years ago when he came in, even though I realize that's probably not the style of football that Bill Belichick really likes to play. But I think the guys, he's especially now that he's you know sort of in a contract year here, he's got a lot to prove. 
Yeah. He's got a ton to prove. He's got some good weapons around him as well. I think the Ravens could be a sneaky, really good team, provided they're able to solve the issues that they have on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I understand the long-term view of it from the Ravens organization standpoint that when you have a quarterback who runs the ball as often as Lamar does, giving him a four, five, six-year contract mm-hmm. that he might be seeking. I think what the Chiefs gave Patrick Mahomes, what, a 10-year contract, and Josh Allen is, is up there as well. Like That might not be what you want to do, but this is not a player in Lamar Jackson that you let walk out the door if you're the Baltimore Ravens. This is a special quarterback, and I think the things that he's doing now that he wasn't necessarily doing in the beginning part of his career – beating the blitz this year Miami tried to blitz him last week like they did last year remember that game last year in prime time where they blitzed the crap out of him and he looked terrible in that game yes uh this past week shredded Miami on blitzes shredded him had the 75 yard touchdown that Ryan mentioned that Rashad Bateman on a zero blitz and he just absolutely torched them on blitzes and he's also beating single high coverage from the pocket a lot more consistently because teams against Baltimore you're not going to play the split safety against Baltimore because then you're a man short in the box and then forget it right like if you're a man short in the box against Lamar you're going to be in for a long day so teams play a lot of cover one a lot of cover three against them and now they're starting to dial up some of those beaters and he's able to read those out from the pocket and make throws down the field he dotted one to Mark Andrews up the seam he had a wheel route on cover three later on in the game those are the types of plays that he's starting to make more and more and more he's a special talent and stopping him is takes a village like you can't just bring one guy to the party you got to bring a village how do you think is best i mean the patriots in the past have actually done i think at least a respectable job of in 2020 2019 was bad okay 2019 was bad but they've done a respectable job of shadowing these quarterbacks that have you know can beat you with their legs as well as with their arms and, and their brains and everything else that they can beat you with how do you defend lamar jackson how do you keep him from being the difference maker yeah, I think there's two ways that they went about it in 2020 that that I'm sure we'll see inklings of in this game plan as well because it was successful back then, so you might as well try to again this week. They played a lot of zone in that matchup to get all 11 eyes on the quarterback, mm-hmm. right, instead of, of just t- turning your back and mm-hmm. man-to-man coverage. And the other thing that they did that was really unique to that game plan was they almost inverted the formation where the safeties were actually playing as edge defenders. So you had Kyle Duggar on one side of the formation, and you had Adrian Phillips on the other side of the formation. So whenever he looked to scramble or he looked on those design runs to turn it the corner, he had a very athletic safety waiting for him instead of, let's say, in that game would have been like John Simon or Chase Winovich, or this week it would be Matt Judon or Anthony Jennings or Josh Uche. So instead of those guys the edge defenders, the heavier guys, having to deal in foot races with Lamar Jackson. They had really wide edges with their safeties that were funneling the plays back inside the formation and they were able to kind of mitigate it up front as well so I think that that's going to be part of the strategy the other thing that the Patriots did that I, that I think is something that Miami actually mimicked a little bit in the game last week was when they do go man to man instead of spying him with Jawan Bentley we're going to spy him with Jonathan Jones or we're going to spy him with a safety they used uh, Brandon Jones as a really good tackling yeah. safety. He is the one that um, I believe he was the one that sacked Mac Jones on the strip sack in week one. A good downhill player. So instead of putting a 250-pound linebacker in a spy role on Lamar in man coverage, they're going to put a DB. In, in as a spy in man coverage to have a little bit more of an athletic player to be able to handle him because you can't 
play zone the whole game, right? You got to mix in some man-to-man calls. And when they went man-to-man, they were able to spy him with with Jones and and keep him from scrambling. But I'm really glad that Ryan mentioned Rashad Bateman because to me – the biggest X factor in this game when the Ravens have the football is Bateman because yeah. we all know about Mark Andrews. The Patriots will have something ready for Mark Andrews. And when the Ravens over the last two seasons, taking out his MVP year in 2019 and Lamar's MVP year, last two seasons, the big problem the Ravens have had on offense is that it was Mark Andrews or bust. There was nobody else in the passing game that scared you. It was Lamar's legs or it was Mark Andrews. Those were the two things that they had. Now with Rashad Bateman emerging and Devin DuVernay maybe off of Rashad Bateman getting less attention now because Bateman is a big time player, there's a there's a Robin, right? Like Mark Andrews is Batman and now he's got yeah. Robin and Rashad yeah. Bateman. And that makes it a lot more difficult, I think, to defend uh, this offense. And when they go to man coverage, Lamar's looking for Bateman too. It's not just Mark Andrews all the time, and that that makes them a lot more challenging. I loved Bateman coming out. I, I believe he went to Minnesota. If I'm I think that's mis- what it was, yeah. not mistaken, first round receiver, really really bursty guy. Got great uh, acceleration and ability to pull away from the defense. You can also get open at the top of the route a little bit. Good route runner, good technique uh, through the break point, and he's a he's a difference maker now for Baltimore. So those are the couple things I would highlight. I'd also say. They're really motion-heavy on offense, especially in the running game. So they're going to bring guys from different directions, and they're going to motion to add on blockers into the running game. So you'll see jet motion. You'll see what they call escort motion, which is when the tight end or the fullback or card kind of comes through and leads the way for Lamar. So they're going to do a bunch of different types of motions and window dressing in the backfield to get numbers in certain situations in the running game. So there's a lot to worry about when they have the football. There's no doubt about that, but I think the biggest thing for Baltimore is getting that Robin, getting Rashad Bateman (laughs) to play off of Mark Andrews it's not as easy to defend as they were in 2020. Like I know they had Hollywood Brown and he's a, he was a solid player for them, but I think Bateman's a little bit better than what Hollywood Brown brought to the table. Key for the Patriots then, really, to 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 win because I'll be honest, and I think you know, and this sort of leads me to what I wanted to get into next because when you looked at the big picture, my thought was if the Patriots could figure out a way to go two and two in the first four weeks that you have something yeah. that you can really build on. I know that didn't sound like a lot, but when you consider that, you know. Middle part of the schedule has got some winnable games there, and then it's going to get really intrinsically tougher at the end of this year. Man, a two and two start would give you real reason, I think, for optimism. So, you know, what 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 is it going to take to be able to get to that point? Because you know, and I realize Green Bay is on the horizon, and if you're looking big picture, these guys don't. We can afford to look a little bit more big picture. How big is this game? It's a huge game, and it's the home opener, and the Patriots have not been particularly great at no, home. No, they were lousy last year, right. let's face it. So you want to fix that, right? I think that's a big deal to fix that. I think the key to the game, though, from a matchup standpoint, really, to me, is going to be the in-game adjustments on offense. Because I, I asked Ryan that question about Mike McDonald because I watched both their games defensively against the Jets and against the Dolphins. But the problem is is that the Dolphins have personnel that you don't have. Mm-hmm. You don't have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. No. And then the Jets and the Dolphins are both Shanahan tree teams. So they're not you. Like You're totally different in every single way. So there's not a whole lot of a sample size there to say what is Mike McDonald going to do against the Patriots on Sunday because he's not Wink Martindale. Like Ryan said, he's not going to drop all these exotic blitzes and come after Mac Jones in the same way. 
but he was very zone heavy in the first two weeks. But was that just because those style of offenses, you usually play more zone yeah. against the Shanahan tree than against a team like the Patriots. So I think in once the game declares, whether it's a man coverage heavy plan or a zone heavy plan by Baltimore, Matt Patricia and the offensive staff then hitting the right buttons after they figure it out in the first quarter what exactly Baltimore is doing defensively is going to be really big. Brian mentioned um, Marlon Humphrey, their best corner, has a groin injury. He didn't practice yesterday. We'll see about the report today. So that could be a factor. If he can't play, they might have to be more zone because of those young corners. But I'm really interested to see if the Patriots can does that Does that help or hurt Mac Jones and in, in, in what the Patriots need to do on offense in order to be successful, playing more zone? Does uh, that play into their hands? I, I think it does help them a little bit because they should – be able to effectively run the football well, a little bit more. That's where I was going. And I think the second thing is, is typically, and look, there's fire zones. There's all sorts of zone blitz schemes. The Steelers, you know, for with under Dick LeBeau and stuff like mm-hmm. that, they did all that kind of stuff. But typically speaking, when you play a lot of zone coverage, you don't blitz a ton because you don't want to pull guys out of the structure because right. then you have less guys right. to cover right. the, the field, right? Yep, makes so sense. you don't typically see zone teams get too aggressive with their blitz package. So if the Ravens play more zone, then the Patriots are not going to get blitzed as much, which I think for now is a good thing for New England. If teams aren't coming after Mac and testing Matt Patricia and the coaching staff on the offensive line and how you know together is that offensive line to handle adjustments at the line of scrimmage, all the stuff that we saw in week one against Miami, free runners, you know, strip yeah. sacks, things right. like that. I think all those are caused by blitzing. So if they are zone heavy, if they are dropping seven and rushing four and that's sort of the game plan like it was in the first two weeks, I, I do think that that favors the Patriots. Yeah, just a little bit at least. I mean, so I'll put, I'll put you on the hook then. Give me a score. I took the Ravens. I, I'm going to take the Ravens. Uh, <laughs> oh, the Patriots really stack up well this week. I took the Ravens. No. I, look, <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the Patriots offense. And I just can't – I think Belichick is going to scheme something up for Lamar. I think he's going to be ready for him. But let's face it, holding Lamar – under 24 points is going to be hard. It'd be hard to do. Right. So I had Ravens 24, Patriots 20. And my biggest concern is is that for the Patriots offense, you have to score into the 20s. Mm-hmm. This can't be 17-14. It's just not going to be that. Especially, we looked at the weather forecast. We talked about that earlier. It's going to be a clear, sunny day. When they played the Ravens in 2020, it was a rainstorm. Yeah. And that, yeah. I think, really it helped even it out. Yeah, it helped even it out a little bit. And so. if you're in a tight game... With the best kicker maybe on the planet yeah. in Justin Tucker, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it's just ultimately I think it comes down to can you trust the Patriots' offense to score 27 points in this game on Sunday? And I just I can't get there yet. I, I liked what I saw against Pittsburgh. I think they made some baby steps in the right direction. But 27 against a pretty solid defense. I know what happened in the fourth quarter, but I thought what Belichick said in uh, on Wednesday – about those plays being kind of like one-time mm-hmm. plays. Like those plays, you know, Ryan mentioned it too. One of them, Tyra Kill just runs through the defense. Like he just takes a cover two and runs right through it. You don't have anybody that's going to do that. Right. And then the second play was a total coverage bust. They had thought The corner thought he had somebody behind him. He didn't, and Tyra Kill was open by 30 yards. Those two plays I don't think you can replicate. So if you take those plays off the board for the Dolphins, it's a two-touchdown win for Baltimore. So I, I, I think that those are the things that I look at and say I, I just don't know if the Patriots are going to have enough offense in, in this game yet. But 
You never know. You never know with Bill against a quarterback like this because as great as Lamar has is and has become, it's very clear what he's good at, right? And it's very kind of crystal clear of what you need to take away. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, there's there's players. Uh, I like comparing it to basketball sometimes. And, and like, I, I look at Lamar as like a guy like Giannis, who you know is an <laughs> unstoppable freight train when he's coming downhill. But if you Freak can, of nature. But if you can make him a jump shooter, yeah. then you have a chance, yeah. right? And I think Lamar So you have to make Lamar way. what? I think a pocket passer. A pocket passer. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's really what you got to do. Um, yeah, it's easier said than done, but I, I think ultimately his jump shot is is probably make him stand in there, get to his second to his third read in the progression, and make an on-time throw consistently. Like, can he do that 10, 15 times in the game on Sunday? All right, well, uh, Patriots are a three-point dog at home. Which, you know, a little strange, especially when you consider the history here, but I realize that history really has nothing to do with it. Uh, I'm going to take the Patriots and the points. I like that. I'm going to take the points. I, I was tempted to take the Patriots because I, I, I like Belichick in this matchup. I, I do think that he can have something cooking for Lamar. I yeah. Do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'll leave it there at that. I, do I think they could sneak one out? Yeah, I do. I could see, I could see a last second, you know, Nick Folk from, you know, 49 yards to, Keep the streak, set the NFL record for most successful kicks under forty nine, under fifty yards made in a row because he tied it this last week. Everybody remembers the fifty two yarder last week that he missed. He tied the NFL record last week for most consecutive kicks made under fifty. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes, so he's going to get a chance. He's going to kick one under fifty yards, and it might be the difference maker. I'll leave it at that. I kind of talked myself into the Patriots. <laughs> See, totally that's why good. that's why we like it. That's why we like it. Nick so, yep. Folk, everybody. Nick Folk, <laughs> everybody. All right. Ev, thanks, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, John. See you next week. At EZ Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R, on Twitter. That's where you find Evan Lazar right here in the playbook. A real woman could stop you from drinking. It has to be a real big woman. It's time to go around the NFL with football guru Russell Baxter. Now on, your name is Flounder. On Patriots Playbook. As Evan walks out of the studio, he says, I think I think I just talked myself into the Patriots for this week. How about that? Russell Baxter, the one and only pro football guru himself, right here in the playbook with us as well. Good afternoon, Mr. Baxter. How are you, sir? I'm doing terrific. It's um, kind of a rainy day up here in Connecticut. Yep. Up here. Yep. Down here for you. Yep. And, uh... Actually, waiting for another storm to go through here, but we got football tonight. Yeah, we do. And uh, it's almost cliche to say it. What an intriguing start to another NFL season with close games, amazing comebacks, and just you know some of the most bizarre things you'll ever see. Yeah, no, and, and I know you've written about uh, some of this as well. So, but I, I think it bears you know, pointing out here that. Uh, the NFL has had what is already twelve games decided by uh, three points or less thus far, which is on, on pace to just blow away last year. And to have that through the first two weeks of the season, that's a, that's kind of extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've seen uh, you know an overtime tie. Yep. Okay. Yep. 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 We've seen, uh, what two overtime wins? Uh, Pittsburgh and, and last week Arizona. My goodness. You know, talking about the rising Phoenix, um, just completely out of the blue there and so on. Um, and a bunch of one-point games. I think we're up to like four one-point games now. 
uh, after two weeks of play when there were nine all of last season. So it's been, don't shut off your TV, especially if you're in Baltimore. <laughs> no, no. And we don't want to shut off the TVs at all because, and in fact, while the ratings, and I've noticed this in a couple of different sources this week, the television ratings are definitely improving for CBS and, you know, on, uh, you know, Sunday Night Football. But the, the, the streaming ratings on Amazon, where, of course, the Thursday night game will be on tonight, was last week. If you could find wherever the hell it is, you know, on your, on your television, which I know a lot of people certainly, uh, you know, my age and older had an issue. Okay, boomer, right? Uh, then, yeah. But the streaming ratings are absolutely through the roof, and that's part of the reason, and we've noticed around here, the, the television ratings for the Patriots locally are actually down a little bit. But I think it's because they don't include the streaming in the television ratings part of it. So really, it's just kind of a, a different story. Well, and that wouldn't surprise me either, because you remember when we've had the last couple of years where people were talking about the NFL ratings were going down? Mm-hmm. And um, I always wondered about that because I had no idea, and I still should not to say because it, it frankly wasn't that important for you to check it out. Is I mean, does that include people watching games on their phones? Uh, no, you know, no, it does not. The television right. ratings don't include watching on your phone. Right, sports bars that you know, can, you know, like a, a Buffalo Wild Wings or a, or, or, or any Dave and Buster's who can show all these games. I mean. Do you actually get a rating from that? That's not a household. No. That's, you know, that's, you know, 50 and 60 of your closest friends watching the game with you and right. so on. Right. And so I've never understood that. I mean, I don't have to think, I don't think I have to make up the fact that a lot of people watch this. Okay. And we know that because a lot of people watch what happens with the NFL when there are no games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, so, and, you know, and they listen to us, too. So that's, I mean, that's how, cra- how crazy is that? I'm so anxious for football tonight. I went on uh, Tubi, which is a streaming service. Yep. And and, and I'm watching Black Sunday. <laughs> That's actually a vastly underrated movie. It is. It was actually a very very good book. Mm-hmm. And it always and anytime you get Robert Shaw in any movie, it's a vastly underrated movie. I like so. it. I like it. Yeah. All right, so let's start with tonight then. You know, uh, the Steelers vanquished by the Patriots last week. I'm sure that they were a little bit, uh, you know, miffed by that. Uh, the Browns, well, geez, could anybody be more miffed about what happened last week than the Cleveland Browns because of the, the way that they lost to the JETS? I mean, somebody's got to win tonight, don't they? Well, it's funny. A couple of years ago on opening day, the Steelers and Browns played to a 21-all tie in Cleveland. Yeah. So it's funny you haven't mentioned that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I let... I, somebody doesn't have to win. Yeah. But um, what's going to be interesting about... There's two things to watch in this game. First off, can, can Pittsburgh's defense stop the Browns' running game, which after, I believe, two weeks is top-ranked in the league. you got Nick Chubb, you've got Green Hunt. Nick Chubb's off to a, a tremendous start, obviously. Um, can the Steelers get pressure on Jacoby Brissett? They had no sacks last week against Mac Jones. And I know T.J. Watt is not there, and that's a big loss, obviously. Um, but you got to generate some sort of heat. That's, you know, the Browns are the better team on both the offensive and defensive lines, at least in, in my opinion. Although it might be kind of a wash with no Jadavian Clowney and so on. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Pittsburgh is, is solid with Cam Hayward and Tyson Alou-Alou. I probably should be more specific and say the front seven and so on. But Pittsburgh has shown 
a propensity for not being able to stop the run. You know, they got Miles Jack from Jacksonville, and, and he's piled up a lot of tackles, but, you know, teams are able to gouge them on the ground. And Cincinnati did to do agree, and so did the Patriots. And that was, remember, last year they were the worst run defense in the league. I yeah. mean, Cleveland could make this a very short game if they could go out and pound the Steelers for 150, 160 yards. Um, I'll be watching, obviously, as most people will, if Mitch Trubisky throws passes over 10 yards. And I'm not trying to be <laughs> condemn him. There's something very That wrong. sounded like a slap to the face, if you ask me. Yeah, well, is it Mitch Trubisky? Is it Matt Canada? Is it the reports that Mitch Trubisky is not allowed to audible in this system? Mm. Okay? Is mm. it the offensive line, mm-hmm. uh, which their left tackle has struggled with pass protection? And, of course, he has nothing to do tonight except block Miles Garrett. So <laughs> yeah. um, I'll be curious, and I'll just throw this out here. I think one of the reasons, and I, this is just a guess, that we haven't seen Kenny Pickett yet could be two reasons. Okay. I'll go with one reason. It was the way the Steelers started out the year. They had two divisional road games in three weeks, and one of these is a short week. If Mitch Trubisky in the offense struggles again, could we see Kenny Pickett tonight? And I bring this up for one specific reason. I'm not saying Kenny Pickett's going to go in there and light light things up. But the one thing for me, at least, John, that's been um, disappointing about Mitch Trubisky is him not escaping the pocket. We know he can run. We saw that in Chicago. We didn't really see it in Buffalo all that much because, you know, he was the, the backup and, and not going to beat out, obviously, Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. But when the play, when there's somebody covered, he's settling for these short throws instead of trying to maybe make something happen with his legs. And that I will keep very much an eye on tonight because that could be something that Kenny Pickett does that Mitch Trubisky, for some odd reason, isn't doing. Yeah. All right, well, the one that I think that Patriots fans certainly going to have to be locked into other than their own game and their own home opener on Sunday has to be the Bills playing at the Dolphins, you know, 1 o'clock kickoff on Sunday as well. Is Buffalo the best football team in the NFL right now? Well, I mean, uh, uh, they were my preseason Super Bowl pick, of course. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, the, one of the reasons I was on the Bills this year was what they did – on the defensive front, okay? And so far, they have not disappointed when it comes to their defense. I mean, they really shut down Derrick Henry. Uh, they got seven sacks of Matthew Stafford. But Von Miller has come in there and made a huge, I mean, huge difference on that team, okay? He's the guy they need to chase down quarterbacks in the playoffs, maybe particularly Patrick Mahomes. Um, but their run defense, which has been shaky at times the last few years, and especially on a uh, rough night in Buffalo with the weather was bad and New England was able to gouge them. And, and John, I, I know I've mentioned this to you almost every week, I feel like. What Jonathan Taylor did to them one night in Buffalo or mm. one afternoon in Buffalo mm-hmm. as well. And we're seeing them play. Now, there's something to point out about this series which can't be ignored. And that's Buffalo's dominance over the Dolphins. John, John, now, this is going to be a bizarre question, but I'm going to throw it out there. John, do you bowl? Yes. Okay. I mean, I haven't in a long. I haven't in a long time, but yes, I have. Okay, but you don't have to tell. What's your average? 
Uh, I'm, I'm probably around 175 or so. I can bowl the occasional 200, 210, 220. I used to be a 185 bowler. Okay. But if you saw a score that said 258 to 123, that would be like me facing Earl Anthony. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, that, and that's the combined score of the last seven Bills-Dolphins games, all won by Buffalo. Wow. Well, I just, I, you know what, Russell? I would bet, had bet really good money that we would not have had an Earl Anthony reference on the show today. <laughs> he's like, he's the person made me love bowling. Yeah, God rest his soul. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's no longer with us and stuff. But why? And the left hand was great. Yes, I, I would have bet you there was no Earl Anthony <laughs> mentioned at all. But when I every time I see it, I think two fifty eight to one twenty three. That's a you know what chicken. Yeah, in a game of bowling. Yes, it but is. They have, I mean, Buffalo has embarrassed Miami these last seven meetings and so on. And um, you know, listen, I know the Dolphins have been the best of clubs and so on. Uh, and obviously, they've had a good off season. They're they're two and zero. I think it's the first time since the last time they went to the playoffs. Um, Buffalo is Buffalo's won its first two games, seventy two to seventeen. Yeah, it's a, it's like they're playing the Dolphins, right? And that all being said, because I did some bold predictions back in August for fan-sided, I think Miami pulls off the upset this week. Wow. I kinda, you know what? I've been kind of leaning that way myself, and yeah. I don't know why. There's no reason for that. But, I, you know, look, it's still early in the year. I do believe yeah. right now that Buffalo is playing as well as anybody uh, you know, yeah. in the league. But at the same time, good teams – don't put it all on the line. The Patriots learned this years ago as well. If you're one of the best teams in the league, you're not going to show that you're the best team in the league in week three. You've got to build to a certain point. Yeah. My, Miami's building. Buffalo will probably come back to the pack a little bit, and then they'll put pedal to metal probably you know, beyond midseason. And that's kind of what Buffalo, I expect out of the Bills. But, and Buffalo will lay its egg like every other team lays its egg. Sure they do. So, you know, the Rams, they beat – they beat the Rams thirty-one to ten on on Thursday night football. Right, they did. Okay, last year people, some people forget that the Rams had a three-game losing streak, and one of those losses was a 31-10 loss to the 49ers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, in this day and age, it didn't used to happen a long time ago, but more and more you see a team that gets to the Super Bowl despite some odd circumstances. Yep. Okay. And, like, I'll go back to the 2011 Giants because they're probably the oddest of all. They were 9-7 and seven and won the Super Bowl. They're the only Super Bowl champion to give up more points than they scored during the regular season. Mm-hmm. They're the only Super Bowl champion to lose four games in a row during the regular season and still win the Super Bowl that same year. Mm-hmm. But you see these oddities as time goes on more where teams have, like, one really bad game, or maybe even two bad games, and then bounce back and win. And, you know, it's really – think about it. It's really been a while since we've seen a dominant team from start to finish. Yep. And it may still be a while, a little bit longer anyway. Yeah, maybe. But that's all right because that's why we watch. And we've seen the close games, and we talked about that a couple of minutes ago. The the Jets were the biggest surprise last week to me, especially with the way that they came back and won that game. Cincinnati may be the other end of that spectrum because they're off to an 0-2 start as the defending AFC champs. And Cincinnati plays at 
the Jets this weekend. Can the Bengals get on track, and, and, and are, are the Bengals already toasted at 0-2? Well, I wouldn't say they're toasted. Um, you know, if the Jets—if the Jets have a pass rush, this is the week to display it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bengals. Let, let's remember last year, Joe Flacco. I think played in 19 games, including the playoffs, John, and was sacked 70 times. So let's oh, go get Ted Karras. Let's go get Alex Kappa. Let's go get Leo Collins. Mm-hmm. Let's rebuild the right side of our offensive line. Okay. Steelers had seven sacks. Yep. Cowboys had six sacks. So that's 13 sacks in two games. So much. I mean, I know it takes time to, to build that offensive line, but I, I, I guess, and, and rightfully so, you would be expecting out of three veteran performers for a little more cohesion, especially since they're all kind of on the same side of the ball. But it hasn't happened. I mean, T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith the, the first week, and then, Last week, Micah Parsons was at it again. He had two more sacks. So, and, and the Bengals are, it said they've fallen behind in these games. They've managed to scratch and claw and tie them up. And, and, and I believe they've lost both of them on a kick on the last play of the game. The Steelers in overtime. And then Brett Maher knocked a 50-yard field goal in the end of the game <laughs> last week. Yeah. So, what's also interesting about this game is what was interesting about the Jets win over Cleveland, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, they've got the Jets have a quarterback who knows the AFC North pretty well. Mm-hmm. And that would be Joe Flacco, who threw for a lot of yards against his old team, who beat the Browns with that comeback, 13 points in the last minute and a half. They get the Bengals this week, and of course the Jets get the Steelers next week. So Joe Flacco must think he's in time tunnel. But he's playing all these teams that he used to either play for or play against. Right. Right. Um, play, no, oh, by the way, I'll throw out one other point. The, the Bengals obviously went to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. They also lost the game to the Jets during the regular season. God, you know, I guess I'd forgotten that one. Yeah. Right. We got two 2-0 and teams this weekend. Uh, Bucks playing at home against the Packers, Giants playing at home against the Cowboys on Monday night. Between those two, I don't think Buck. I, I don't think Tampa. I don't think it's. <coughs> excuse me. I don't think it's unlikely. Uh, in other words, we expected maybe two and zero for the Bucks. Didn't really expect that for the Giants. Which one is more likely to lose this weekend? Considering the opponent. By the way, just so Patriot fans know, I'm sure they understand this, but the Packers will get the Patriots next week. Well, that's, that, 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 I, I was just doing some numbers on uh, on Tampa Bay's defense so far this year, John. Uh, they've given up 13 points in two games. They have 10 sacks. Yep. They have six takeaways. And I think the thing that impresses me the most, A, they won their first two games on the road. B, they gave up one touchdown total in two games, and it didn't come until the fourth quarter against the Bucks. That's incredible. So they have played two teams and held them out of the end zone the first three quarters, two weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. Now, that's pretty difficult in this day and age, to be honest with you. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a field day against uh, Jameis Winston last week, who you know, reverted to Tampa Bay J- Jameis Winston instead of New Orleans Jameis Winston. Uh, but they're getting a lot of heat on the quarterback. Uh, the Packers' offensive line still concerns me, you know. 
uh, you know, Chicago. It, they didn't get a lot of heat on Aaron Rodgers, but that's also because the Packers were able to run the football. Yeah. I don't know if the Packers are going to be able to run the football against Tampa Bay in, in that front seven, especially those linebackers, Levante David and uh, Akeem Hicks, who is now with the team, and, uh, and Devin White, who you know, does a little bit of everything and so on. I, I, I would think the Giants would be your candidate to answer your question. Yeah. Um, but I also give them credit. I mean, this is a team that you know, very few people saw them doing what they've done so far, upset the Titans on the road. And I thought last week was kind of a big game for them, to be honest with you, John, because all of a sudden the Giants were expected to win a game after beating Tennessee. And it wasn't pretty, but they won. Now, of course, they've had their problems with the Cowboys in, in, in recent years. Of course, they've had their problems with everybody in recent years. But <laughs> I will say this. Saquon Barkley kind of looks like Saquon Barkley. Yeah, yeah, absolutely did. I'm looking forward to that matchup, actually, just because, you know, Barkley and, and – uh, um uh, you know the the cowboy defense. You know, being uh, young and, and athletic as they really are now at linebacker, and you know, I actually think that that might you know it might rekindle some memories of uh, you know old school nineteen seventies nineteen eighties cowboy giant games. You know, back yeah, when Phil Sims was quarterbacking. You know, I I think a lot of people, including myself, thought that even with Dak Prescott, but because of all the changes the Cowboys made on offense, offensive line. Receivers, you know, Mari Cooper was dealt. Um, Cedric Wilson signed with the Dolphins. Connor Williams, the left guard, signed uh, with the Dolphins. Leo Collins was cut. And Tyron Smith being out, that the defense was going to be ahead of the, the Dallas offense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, listen, they lost to Tampa Bay early on, but they gave up one touchdown. Yeah, right. Okay. And last week against the Bengals, if memory serves, I think they only gave up. One touchdown mm-hmm. uh, because it, you know, it came on a two, they had a two point conversion. The Bengals were able to pull off. Mm-hmm. So their defense has been pretty stout so far, not just sack wise, but overall. So I, I don't know if the Cowboys, I mean, the Giants' new look offensive line is really kind of ready to deal with it. Um, so that's why I would say the Giants are probably more likely to lose than the Bucks. All right. I, I'm not going to disagree with that one. Uh, and then your thoughts on the uh, on the Patriots and the and the uh, uh, and the Baltimore Ravens because you know last week I think the Ravens still have to be shaking their head over the way that they lost that game to you know which we know is a very talented Miami team but the way that they lost it I mean coming from three touchdowns down in the fourth quarter to actually win that game uh, how much of a how much of a sucker punch did the Ravens take and might that still affect them at all this week? It's hard to imagine it wouldn't. And, you know, again, something else I was writing earlier and so on. Last year, and a lot of it had to do with injuries. Marcus Peters was out for the whole year when it came to the Baltimore secondary. In the middle of the year, Marlon Humphrey went out for the rest of the year. They had a lot of issues in the secondary. And Baltimore, of all teams, and you think about John Harbaugh's legacy there and so on, gave up the most passing yards in the league. The most passing yards in the league, the Ravens? You wouldn't even think that. Mm. No. So we're two weeks into the season. Guess who's given up the most passing yards in the league? Yeah, the Ravens. The Ravens. And Marlon Humphrey, I know he's not 100% healthy. Either is Marcus Peters. But they brought in um, the Williams, the safety from, uh, from uh, New Orleans. I know Kyle Fuller got hurt. 
They drafted Kyle Hamilton. And to watch that happen, like that, and it was a lot of long plays, and that was the thing the Ravens gave up last year. They gave up the most 40-yard pass plays in the league last year. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like deja vu all over again. I mean, the Dolphins, Don, the Dolphins scored 28 points in the fourth quarter. Did half the teams in the league last year score 28 points in a game? <laughs> last week? Right, no. No one. Yeah, I mean, no. Yeah. Pittsburgh was 17 14. Um, you know, you think of some of the other games around the league and so on. We saw a lot of teams. Actually, there wasn't a lot of high scoring last week. Right. If you really get down to it and so on, except for that game. Um, now, can New England kind of keep pace with them? Can they get some Lamar Jackson turnovers? Which is, you know, it's been a problem with him on occasion and so on. I think they're going to have to. Um, I think they're going to have to. Yeah, they are going to have to. And uh, I, I, I don't know if I have a necessarily a strong feeling in the game. And I, I heard you talking with Evan, and and you bring up Justin Tucker. I mean, you know, he's kind of he's kind of pretty good. Yeah, kind okay. of. And um, you know, and, and New England. But I will also say this: New England's defense. You know, the state gave up. What one touchdown to the Dolphins? Mm-hmm. The defensive unit. Mm-hmm. Okay, they gave up one de- offensive touchdown to the Steelers. Right. Okay. So so far, they've been more than respectable. I mean, obviously the the Patriots like to score a few more points, but you know, if, if I, I will say this, if if Miami was able to do that in the fourth quarter, it would behoove the Patriots to try that in the first, second, and third, and fourth quarter. Yep. Yep. And press the issue a little, and you know, they, listen. They've got some receivers, Nelson Aguilar and Bourne, and you know, and and, and the tight ends, and they they could press the envelope there, and uh, and maybe take some chances early and get get the Ravens playing from behind instead of the Ravens trying to protect the lead. Right, Russell, my man. Thank you. As always, really appreciate the visits on Thursday, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll move our attentions to the, uh, the the Patriots and Packers for next week, and uh, and some other goodies that we have as we uh, turn the page finally to the fall season. I am all for goodies. <laughs> I knew you would be. Thanks, my man. <laughs> all right, talk to you soon. See you. Russell Baxter, at Bax Football Guru uh, on Twitter. I got a couple of emails that I want to read here to wrap up the show. Uh, Howard in Stratford, Connecticut. John, I'm hoping to see the Patriots continue to improve this week and steal a win against a good Baltimore team. I believe they'll find a way to contain Jackson with the D, just as Russell was talking about, and conversely open up the passing game with against a weak Baltimore secondary. He says, Pat's 27, Ravens 24. Uh, Aiden in California. Good week to build off of, but I still think we have to panic a bit if we're struggling to put 17 points up. Seems like it's a struggle to put any drive together after the first scripted drive, but I'll be patient. Say Patriots win 23-21. Kind of like your score there. Greg says Ravens 27, Patriots 14. Uh, uh, Joel uh, wrote me a long one, Um, but I will suffice here, and he'll say 24-21, Pats win. Uh, a pissed-off Ravens team that will come back with a vengeance or our Patriots continue the scoring against the Ravens' D. I can't really pick against the Spats, uh, against the uh, the Pats, rather. You know, I, I was going to say, because when I had Evan in here earlier, I was going to actually go with them. Um, I said Patriots would cover the spread. You know, and I was accurate last week. Patriots covered the spread, uh, and they won on the road. Uh, I, I'm going to – I think I'm going to uh, – I'm going to be kind of like Evan. I think I might 
have talked myself into picking the Patriots to win outright. And, and originally, I didn't have the Patriots in this game this week. And there seems to be so much emphasis on the Patriots scoring 20 points. So how do you like Patriots 20, Ravens 19? That's four Justin Tucker field goals and a touchdown, which I think is a believable, plausible scenario. Tucker's good. Patriots defense has only given up one touchdown each in the last two weeks, so they continue that trend. Can the Patriots score 20 against the Ravens D? That's what we're wondering. I, I, I think that they will. I'm going with 20 to 19. What say you? Our thanks to uh, Ryan Mink, our thanks to Russell Baxter, Evan Lazar, of course, and the one and only Mike Reese for joining us here in the playbook here this week. All right, so don't forget now, uh, Saturday here on Patriots.com, uh, Russ, uh, you, you've got, uh, you've got uh, Will Fork's uh, Hall of Fame ceremony. Vince Wolfrick's Hall of Fame ceremony. So we'll, we'll carry that for you here on Patriots.com if you're out of the area and you want to tune in and you want to be a part of that and see what's going on. If you're with us here in the area, come on down. It's free right here on Patriot Place Plaza. Uh, you know, the Enel Energy Plaza, I think is what they've got it named now, right? So uh, that's where we'll be, and uh, that'll be a lot of fun. And, of course, Vince will be, um, uh, you know, he'll be rewarded at halftime of the uh, the Ravens-Patriots game on Sunday as well. I've been looking at the, uh, the, the reel that they're kind of rolling here back and forth in the studio because uh, they're doing the production work on Will Fork. It is so cool to see Big Vince in the uh, Pat Patriot helmet and the red jersey. Oh, my God. That red jersey, it looks fabulous, you know, and some of the great plays that he's made throughout the year. So be a part of that on Saturday, and, of course, we'll have the 1 o'clock kickoff uh, on Sunday. And, uh, and then next week, same Pat's time, same Pat's channel, and we'll talk about not only recapping the Ravens, but the step forward now as we move on into Green Bay. Don't get to say that all that often. Because you play these guys, what, once every four years, once every eight years at home, that kind of thing, and they're going out on the road. So it'll be interesting to see how um, how that one turns out. All right. Thank you. Thanks to Maureen as well. Same patch time, same patch channel again next Thursday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time, Patriots.com Radio. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.